her. Okay. Because it was really super interesting and no one's done anything like this ever. And post-pandemic, I think this guy's got a little baby uh, baby uh, winner on his hands. Cool. Okay, we're on the top of the hour. There it is. We just started. Where's the... We need the official uh, Olympic air horn sound uh, to, to get us started here. I wonder if this... That were... There it is. Top of the hour. Let's do it. So the biggest news story at this very moment is... Uh, the ongoing drama of Activision Blizzard. This this one's going to go on for quite some time. And to recap, it's a lawsuit um, kind of initiated by the female team members at Activision Blizzard, the makers of World of Warcraft and Call of Duty, two of the biggest games in the history of video games. And many, just to name a few of their huge titles, uh, one of the biggest video game companies in the world, 10,000 employees based in Southern California. And... The female team members filed a lawsuit in California, um, and then the, the suit is based around you know, allegations of sexual discrimination and sexual harassment. And it started off with the lawsuit. Two senior executives said, uh, "This isn't this isn't us. This isn't accurate. Uh, we don't we don't really we don't really agree with the lawsuit." That led the team members to do a signature collection, which got up to 25% of the team members, about 2,500 signatures, saying, actually, we do agree with this. We don't like your assessment that this isn't accurate. And now we're doing a walkout, which they did. The company leadership said, okay, you can do the walkout. You you can even be paid on the... If not, you don't have to take the day off for the walkout. We'll even pay you for the day of the walkout. They did the walkout in front of their... Corporate HQ, which is in the middle of a business park, so nobody knew they did the walkout. It was just a kind of a PR move, which is fine. They did do a PR staged photo, like a classroom photo of the ladies in the front and the guys in the back with the signs up, big smiles, everybody. One, two, three. At the, at the, <laughs> uh, everyone say, uh, "Blizzard harasses Jeez. women." At the count of three, <laughs> and um, and then everyone say, "Geez," and. <clears throat> And then they, the company hired a union-busting lawyer. And then yesterday, the president, Alan Brack, announced he's leaving the company. And then today, Activision Blizzard says that Blizzard's head of global human resources, the head of the HR department, Jesse Mashuk, has also left the company. So that's the, the ever-continuing saga of Blizzard Activision. Stay tuned tomorrow for a continuing coverage of this Activision Blizzard Fiasco. Yes. It sounds like a bit of um, a, P, um, a PR fix because if it looks like two major people leaving, it sounds like there there have been some possibly people. Those two have probably been the ones that have might been contentious to the whole thing, so they might have to get rid of the, the big heads to sort of level the waters a bit. The, the guillotine. Can, yeah, it gives them an opportunity to negotiate from a lawyer perspective. It gives them an opportunity... For, uh, I mean, a similar case happened with Fox, and what ends up happening is, is they take, they find the two that are most at fault, or they find those that are most at fault, that could be the most troublesome, and then they do a little bit of a, yeah, let's get rid of them first, okay. and then let's see what we could come back and negotiate on, because maybe those they were the two, the two right. heavy well, ones. Yeah, because in this uh, Axios. In a report published by Axios today, multiple current and former Blizzard employees called the company's human resources team part of the problem. They so this and is he the, was the head of it. This is the head of the the 
HR team, human resources. That's that which does the hiring in, in many sense. They, the recruiter, the, the recruitment team works under HR and whatnot. And HR also is kind of the police department inside of the company when there's issues around sexual, you know, harassment or discrimination. So an HR rep reportedly told one employee to suck it up because they were acting like a brat. Another told mm, Axios mm. that that after wow, that's that, that's not cool. Uh, after <laughs> who, who's cracking up there, Chris? That's Chris. I'm sorry, I didn't know my mic was open, guys. <laughs> it was a good laugh, Chris. Good laugh. It's, it's, you you didn't a, know that, Chris? No, it sounded like the Joker. It was like a cackle. A, it was kind here, of funny. I'm just here working on a budget, and I hear Tyler saying, "Said someone sounds like a brat," and I just started laughing. I'm so sorry. That's right. Another told Axios that after she was assaulted by a male colleague, the HR rep took his side, telling her to work from home or switch departments. He's really sorry, and he really wants to work at Blizzard, and he says that you really that you were really friendly with him. And this person was upset that the HR person said that the offender was sorry and that he wants to work at Blizzard. And he says that you were really friendly with him. Last Tuesday, Activision Blizzard uh, resigned. Anyway, uh, so that's the continuing update. Well, well, Tyler, I got a lot more information on that, by the way. Go. They they did an earnings call today. And, you know, I don't even really follow the company, but I listened to the earnings call because I wanted to hear what they said about this. And I will tell you, unlike what you normally expect, where they would hide behind the lawyers and like Bobby Kotick made a full statement with a very different. um, What's the word I'm looking for? Um, Slant or whatever than his original statement. Basically, I mean, I won't I won't say he admitted to everything. But it was basically they were no longer denying anything. He wasn't saying anything that this was like, you know, taken out of, you know, it was like he made a full throttle. We're not going to we're not going to put up with this stuff. And he says, we're going to fire everybody that we going to do an investigation. Everybody that we find that, you know, participated in this is going to be fired. And then he went on to make a further statement saying, if I find people who they them themselves may not have actually sexually harassed someone, but somehow impeded the investigation, they're going to be fired too. Sure. Okay. And then um, when they started getting, you know, onto the kind of the business that you usually do on, on earnings, they, they brought up the issue again. And like, it was like every person who, of course, you know, spoke was, it was like, but you usually, as you know, Tyler, you usually don't see that when True. you see these lawsuits. You know, usually it's like we can't comment. It's in litigation. Right. And they were it's a much more forthcoming than you typically get in a situation like this. Well, yeah, but they were forthcoming and, and they were very consistent in their narrative, which they clearly had, you know, rehearsed a bit before the call, which is we're going to do all the no. right stuff. We're going to crack down. No, you know, no, but usually you don't even hear that. That's True. All I'm, saying. I'm, not, I'm not I'm not I'm not trying to make excuses for them yeah, yeah. or anything. I'm just trying to tell you what what happened as, as kind of unusual in as these things go yeah. not like you know i mean obviously they got caught with their hand in the cookie jar but you know yeah so what i can say is that about 10 years ago um an incoming ceo of best buy was caught having an inappropriate relationship with an employee and because um the company had just adopted a very stringent anti-fraternization policy even though it wasn't 
classified as sexual harassment, but there was a big, I want to say it was an IBM case that had, or Intel, I think it was Intel, that had just um, happened a few months Board of Best Buy came up with this really, really strict policy. And what transpired then was that Brian, who was a relatively new CEO, he had spent his entire career at the company, he stepped down. But even more importantly, it coincided with Dick Schultz stepping down from the board. And Dick Schultz founded Best Buy. Dick was aware and allowed it to continue. And it also coincided with the cusp of the global financial crisis. And so stores were closed and people lost their jobs. I mean, so, so even, you know, even well, in cases where it's, you know, maybe mutual consent, um, there are broader implications just beyond, you know, the relationships or the harassment in this particular case that could play out. Well, that's a, that's such a sticky one. The, like just the fully two coworkers who actually who, who become a couple, yeah. and I mean, what? Uh, and there's it, it, yeah. it depends what it's, it's, if it's a subordinate and something. I mean, that may be right. what she's referring to. That happened at Boeing, by the way, and that happened at McDonald's, where they forced out the CEO in both situations for a consensual relationship with a subordinate. If you have a CEO, basically, you you don't get to have. Microsoft, Bill Gates, and Jeff Bezos both ended up marrying subordinates. I know, but the world's changed. (laughs) (laughs) Are you guys talking about Cuomo? No, not yet, but we will. Many of us owe our existences to our mothers or fathers sexually harassing each other at work. So um, I, for one... (laughs) Wow, that's a hot take. (laughs) We should be less prudish about these things. No, me, me but too, because, but this is the thing. No, no, this is. I think it was a matter of the timing. I think it was a matter of the timing because, because Intel had just you know lost their CEO and Dick really he was the chair of the board and he had just yeah yeah he was the chair of the board found Best Buy but you know he led this charge of there will be no fraternization so that there is no Look, ambiguity let's... and within a few months this all happened and I will say that you know the woman I I knew of her she was a receptionist but she had like a list access so you know we would get a lot of celebrities come in because you know musicians and actors would come into the company because we sold DVDs that the and so she would fly in private jets and get backstage. So there were lots of other dynamics that were playing out beyond just the romantic. Look, here's how it works in practice. If you're doing very well as a company, nobody cares what you're doing. The second there's a slip up, then the Me Too allegations are the way in which you're removed from the company. So, for example, Right. You know, there's all kinds of things that were going on in early days of Google where they're all sleeping with each other. Everybody knows this. Bill Gates would routinely date subordinates, including Mary Melinda, which, of course, she wasn't complaining about it until, you know, until he started getting caught with Jeffrey Epstein years later. And then you have I mean, there's so many examples. I mean, there's all this weird stuff about Brad Smith at Microsoft, which, you know, they did everything they could to keep that out of the press. I think he's still at Microsoft, whereas where he travels around on the on the private jet with his uh, very attractive assistant. I mean, there's so many examples of this stuff. And really, like, in Europe, like, people are cool with this. Like, nobody cares. We should really get over it, though, because a lot of the times these sort of sexual McCarthyite kind of things are used to extort business leaders. Um, and we should really just 
you know, if you're having an affair, you're whatever, having these kind of relationship, it should be disclosed. I mean, God knows Eric Schmidt slept with like all these Chinese and Russian women. I mean, like we should just like get over ourselves and focus on the real task of building serious businesses. Okay, so here's the point. Is it is it a byproduct of our highly litigious nature in America? Because the, essentially what the companies are afraid of is the one of the people in the relationship, you know, uh, ends up feeling hurt and it's a bad breakup and then they they want to blame the company for the bad behavior of their exactly. bad partner. And then that's why the company says you cannot have relationships because we're not going to be responsible. We're not going to be responsible for that idiot's bad behavior. It should be disclosed to the board when it happens, you know, and I think boards have a right to set their own policies. But, you know, in in the final analysis, it really comes down to are you a good, you know, fiduciary? Are you actually like growing the company and actually doing a good job? Look, in practice, there are many, many women who, you know, and this is like not politically correct to say. Yeah, well, maybe don't many, wait, hold that thought, Charles. But hold up, like our vice don't president, her, like, like, let's be real here. Like our vice president, okay, was like having an affair with Willie Brat. I mean, like there are many women who basically, you know, taken advantage of, shall we say, their their feminine mystique to, you know, enhance their careers. And just as there have been many gay men who've also, you know, slept their way up, up that, you know, up the ladder. So and many again, Tyler, 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 wait, 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 I, mean, wait. I don't think it's a gender I, thing. But I, yeah, yeah, I think it's not fair to say it's, yeah, it's only one way, it's both ways. Okay, I can tell you something. I'm a very socially awkward person. I spend most of, I used to be a workaholic, a super workaholic, and I spend most of my time at work. And most of my boyfriends, I meet them from work. They are, I'm not attracted to them, but they're attracted to me first because I'm very serious in my work. Charles, it's, it's not Ty- only one way. Go ahead, Amy. Okay? Tyler, this is no, a very... No, I, I, what, I is, hold on, Charles. Go, let him go. I, I want to actually... I, I'm just going to put on a shield when I say this because I used to work for Fox Sports and what Charles is saying, I, I, I'm going to like kind of have to agree with him to some extent and, and it depends also on the industry because that whole Harvey Weinstein thing... I mean, Uma Thurman could have put him under the bus because I actually am friends with Uma Thurman's well, brother. Yeah, you're opening a whole new can of worms. Yeah, we go but into... no, no, I'll keep it real simple with this can of worms. It's just that there are some people that they're in the opportunistic way, they know that if they say something, they know they have the power, but they may not say something because of what they got from it, which is what Charles is also alluding to. Is Bingo. Uma got Quentin Tarantino. Uma got a lot of a. She was an amazing. She's an amazing actress, but her break was Harvey Weinstein. Her break was Harvey Weinstein, and she knew a lot, but she did not say much because she was one of the. She was very in the Kill Bill establishment. She was with Quentin Tarantino's muse. She her whole career was from that one opportunity that Harvey Weinstein gave her. Yeah, well, so if it's it goes way beyond that. I mean, a huge course, a huge of swath of Hollywood is complicit in Harvey Weinstein. They all knew he was doing it. Correct. I mean, any so, any any, any a, all A level actors in Hollywood knew what he but was doing. But even the photographers. But even the yeah. fa- I came from fashion. Even Terry Richardson. Come on, Terry Richardson yeah, is the biggest pig in the another he's the biggest another pig example. in the industry. Yep. Yet, without without naming names. Sorry. <laughs> Without naming names and being generous or whatever, but like, of course, like people are human beings. They fall in love. They get in fights. They're petty. They sleep with one another. I mean, this sort of thing happens. In it's like, like my puppy. In-
in real life, you know? And I mean, I've dated, you know, I, I dated a subordinate, you know, hold up, not a subordinate, a, my boss, when I was an intern at a place, and of course I got better, you know, a better job. I mean, afterwards, I mean, because you just shut up about these things. And there's a whole lot of that that goes on. And if people don't think it happens in every industry, particularly the high status ones, I mean, we all know like nerds in tech who have, who end up getting super rich and then they date women that they had no business dating when they were in high school. I mean, we all know how it works. Like we've all seen it. Oh my well, God. And so I, look, and let me just add one point, if I may, to conclude this from a little bit older perspective. I think you're right though, the European, we just, we swing it too extreme. One it's, is the, it's the, I've seen, the fear of lawsuits. Yeah. One, I've seen sexual harassment, women, men, gay on different sides, just to go after those people who are successful. Um, if you're talking about dating anyone, no matter what, you know, color or race, it's proximity to that person, like Cheryl said. So you always are going to be around because our humans, humans. Well, no, it's not um, even that. Not... It's, it's been it's there's been really interesting studies of social behavior, anthropological studies that the more time people spend in close proximity, they start to form affection <clears throat> and even uh, base level attraction for each other over extended periods of time. So if right. You, so if, you're like, and so our society is, you're right. So globally, we, we send out these messages. Okay. You know, there's the Me Too movement. I've been harassed 30 women or 20 women or 20 guys or whatever. And then there's proximity to power. And then we go the other way to say, okay, if you're an executive or CEO, you know, like you said with Bill Gates and everyone else in the past, you ignore this or some companies won't. And then we're just going to let you just not have a relationship. You have to go out yeah. and meet someone where you don't know where they think right. or work and you know, get set up that way. I mean, it's just bullshit. I think we're just going to have to get more mature about where we're heading with technology, society, and how the world is changing. It's the fear of litigiousness. It's the fear that their companies are, the American companies are correctly afraid that they will get sued if the relationship, they're not worried that the couple forms a relationship. They're worried that the company is going to become named in the lawsuit when that relationship, if it does go bad. So hence, why risk it? It's, we have no upside in this. We have a lot of potential downside in this. Hence, it's illegal. Don't, you can't do it. Every successful man has had this experience of doing very well and having women come out of the woodwork. And it is an extremely dangerous position to be in, particularly when you're newly divorced, particularly when you're, you know, um, high status. And that, of course, is never discussed. Nobody ever talks about all the women who threw themselves at Elon, right? Like nobody ever talks about any of this stuff. Some of whom might have actually been tools of foreign intelligence services, which is, of course, also never really discussed. That's all the better reason to make it a company policy that that, that the CEOs, especially, or anyone in in the the SVP, EVP, you know, shouldn't be able to do anything because they they can be compromised. Yes, but what are you supposed to do? I mean, you're a heterosexual male, right? You can't date anyone at your office. So you're famous. What ends up happening? You get set up with somebody. Maybe they don't have your best interest. Maybe they want to hurt your company. I mean, it is not good to be famous and successful in all those ways, because every time, you know, you have so much to lose. And I think people really don't understand, like the power dynamics are not as clear cut as, you know, high status man, you know, uh, you know, taking advantage of a woman. The case of Harvey Weinstein, look, he was taken out because he had all kinds of ties to all kinds of weird yeah, that's, intelligence. That's a, Harvey's a whole other ca- case of potatoes. That's but, another. That's another yeah. bag of tricks. Yeah. There's, there's predacious behavior, and then like in the case of that Burger King dude, I mean, like he was dating a subordinate. It was consensual. He informed people that he was dating her, 
You know, like what was he supposed to do in those kind of situations? Right. Like, I don't think it, it should be anyone's business if it's disclosed to the board and it should be, you know, treated, treated. Of course, what ends up happening is the second that stock price slips. Right. If it's a publicly traded company, it's, oh, you know, so and so was too busy, you know, having affairs or whatever. It, it's Well, it's, in Brian's it's a- case, he was married. Well, I'm sorry. Are we so talking in generalities? Stuff. Sorry. OK, let's turn it to Cuomo. <laughs> Because that's the other related headline at the moment. Cuomo, yeah. it, it was it, since we met last. So in the past 12 that's hours, right. one of the big headlines, this is political news. So uh, unfortunately, Justin's likely asleep and Heyman was raising his hand here. But if anyone has a hot, essentially, uh, even Joe Biden has stepped in to say that Cuomo should step down now. That, now that it's been revealed that he had inappropriate conversations with uh, subordinates. And some of those conversations have now been shared uh, to some extent where he told, asked some, uh, a female subordinate, why are you getting married? Don't you know that that lowers your sex drive or something like that? Tyler, um, this is a really interesting story because I actually went to school with Andrew Cuomo and he went to the same high school as I. And we uh, basically, we know the Cuomo family from Queens and I find that really interesting because I'm literally walking my dog with an Italian and his dog. And as, I, as I'm listening to what you're saying, he was asking me what we're talking about. And it's a really, really, and I'm in Europe, as Ellis was saying, I think there's a level that the United States is too puritanistic because there, to me, that I, I statement. I literally had that word in my mind. I was about like to. That, like yeah. that statement is like, come on, what, we're not allowed to talk about this stuff either now? He's not allowed to share facts? Let's be realistic. Just go Google what happens to sex drives after people get married. I mean, that's not a really harsh question to ask someone. And the context is it could have been his friend. You know, it could have been someone who's well, that's close what, to him. That was his defense, as he says, you know, but I Italians become... talk like this. I mean, this I grew up with Italians. Double standard, I mean, huh? Exactly, exactly. Right? That was Chris saying double standard, right? But it, it's not even that. It's just that they're like, what are you talking about? Don't stress over it. They're very, like, European in that manner. But then this but, is what I find really fascinating, because what Charles guy is, said... He's being taken <clears> out <throat> by Letitia James, who wants his job. Everybody there, knows this in New go. York. And the reason he's being taken out is Cuomo is heavily mobbed up, not to be stereotypical or whatever, because he's Italian. No, but you're probably right. But everybody knows it. Everybody knows it in New York. They couldn't get him on the crooked stuff he was doing, sending, you know, uh, basically all the elderly who had COVID into the nursing homes. They couldn't get him that way. So they're going to go take him down with the zipper thing, which everybody knows he talks this way. He has always talked here. Everybody knows this and they're going to get him because Letitia James, you know, came for the NRA and she's coming for him and everybody knows this. And then watch what AOC does because AOC AOC is coming for Chuck Schumer and there's going to be a total changing of the guard in New York. This is what's happening. Actually, Go ahead, Ken. Okay. So, okay. So just. Full disclosure, when I was 14 years old, I, I worked from there. And now we're going to find out if this New York accent you've been playing is actually legit. It is. No, it's, it's real. real. Yeah. Yeah. accent's real. It's very real. I worked on Mario Cuomo's Is this news or what today? Excuse me? Go ahead, Ken. Mario Cuomo was the man, just for the record. Okay, so so this issue with the Cuomo and the mob, as far as I know, and, and, and you know, 
I mean, as far as I know, okay, the only connection. <laughs> Classic New they, York. Uh, uh, no, 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 no. The only connection to hey. their family and, and the mafia was that this would be Andrew's mom, Matilda, that her father, so that was like Andrew's grandfather, was like a low-level soldier in the mafia. I've seen, I've seen some articles on that. But, you know, people have been investigating them for that stuff, you know, all the time. And, you know, the problem with New York, and I'll be very honest about it, I think, you know, is that you sometimes grow up next to these people. They're not like, you know, you're not involved, but your neighbor's a mobster, so you know somebody. I mean, like, there was a guy across the street from me when I grew up, right? I mean, I was only a kid, right? And I went to school with his kids, right? And um, he ran, like, a, a local luncheonette. Um, and um, one day, like, um, some guy walked into to, to the luncheonette and put three bullets in his back. They didn't stay, take any money. They didn't take anything from the patrons, okay? I remember when the police cars, you know, pulled over in, in, front, in front of uh, the house to tell his now widow what had happened. And, and, and one of the things that, that came out of that, and remember, I'm only a kid. I probably didn't get the full story, was that when the, when the police opened the trunk of his car, he had, like, um, football betting slips. He was basically running illegal, like, uh, sports bets, you know, for, you know, and he was skimming for them. So that's why they, they killed him. So, but, and this, you know, and, and so it, it's, you know, when people say mobbed up in New York, it's, you know, it, 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 you just, you, it, it's, it's a different context when you grow up there because it's so endemic. I mean, there are whole industries that were almost controlled by the mob, private carding until it was actually, by the way, cleaned up by Giuliani. Um, um, I'm, try, I'm trying to think, the jukebox, you know, it, it, um, it went to a diner and then the jukeboxes and you put the quarters in, that was theirs. I mean, so it's, it's, it was kind of like, you know, it's just there. But I mean, in, in terms of like, you know, you know, Andrew being really involved, I, I, I truly doubt that because his dad really wasn't involved, you know. And so, um, and so I would tend to disagree with Charles on Andrew being, you know, mobbed up, not to defend Andrew, because a lot of things you can criticize Andrew. I think Andrew's bigger problem, by the way, is going to be the nursing home scandal and some other stuff, you know, than, than this. Yeah, um, but a lot of the people who are involved in the nursing home scandal have mob connections. Oh yeah, but I mean, there's, there's, that's yeah. what I'm saying. In in New York, you're you're only one one person removed from knowing somebody. I mean, you could almost accuse me of having a mob connection. I guarantee you that somehow I shook hands or was in the same party with some people who were involved. You know, without even knowing it. You know. Okay. I mean, it's just well, look. I mean, back in the day when I was 16, I worked for Alan Dershowitz and we represented Jeffrey Epstein. So, like, I, I hear what you're saying, and if you're you know from Boston or New York or whatever you rub shoulders with people who aren't always, you know, got the cleanest of hands. All that said, like what I've heard in, I mean, I'm friendly with, you know, people who work for, uh, you know, people who work for Bloomberg. I'm friendly with people who work for Giuliani. I mean, I'm just telling you the word on the street is that Cuomo is being taken out by Letitia James, you know, over, you know, basically doing the Biden administration's doing, which is why they queued it up by having Biden say that he thinks he should resign. I don't and, disagree okay. with you on okay. the list. Right. What, 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 what Guys, I'm getting DMs from every, every non-American in the audience being like, who the hell is Cuomo? Who's Giuliani? <laughs> what, what the fuck are you guys talking about? <laughs> no, so. no, but, but, but Charles, what you're pointing out is a built-in conflict of interest that exists in most states 
when you have an elected attorney general because they all want to be governor or senator. They don't yes. want attorney general a- so they can aspiring run for office. AG stands for aspiring governor. That's all very so, good. Yes, we agree on that. We agree yeah, on Tyler, that. the okay. only thing the international audience would love to know is that Cuomo at one point was technically going to be president, right? Before Biden was elected, they were trying to push Cuomo to run, right, for the Democratic Party. Yeah, no, one no one outside of America has ever heard of Cuomo and doesn't much care. He was the mayor of he is, New York. He is governor of one of our most powerful states. Yeah, and governor of New York. Is, yeah. or, you, yes. or you might yeah. know his brother, okay. Chris Cuomo, who's another... He's on CNN. Who, okay, big whoop. All right, he, they're Italian. I, I was on, uh, sorry, just the 10 seconds. I was Go on ahead. Mike Spano's um, campaign uh, for the last uh, three years prior to COVID. Final word. Um, and and yeah, Mike Spano and, and, and a lot of stuff that Chris is saying is, is you know very accurate. Okay, so here we go. Next big story is Tyler. Can you bring Faraz out first? Faraz on my screen, he already is. Oh, okay. He's in the audience. It's okay. Go on. Oh, he was invited earlier. Uh, it's okay. Uh, where are you, Faraz? Yeah, he's got a little bubble that says he's invited on stage. Okay. Sorry, Wait. Charles, not Chris. Okay. So the next big story, I, I clicked invite on stage. He already has the bubble next to him, which means he's already been invited on stage. So you might need to leave the room yeah, and come he's, back. He's on now. He's on, okay. now. He's on stage now. Next big, the, the second biggest story, well, the first was Activision. We've really only done one story, believe it or not. And then we jumped ahead to the Cuomo story, which is not really a tech story, but it's one of the biggest stories in America at the moment. And then the second biggest tech story at this very moment is that WhatsApp is rolling out a view once feature for photos and videos that disappear from the chat after the recipient opens it, what we call ephemeral. So, um, yeah, disappearing content in your chats of photos. I kind of like it. Um, Coincidentally, around the same time as the NSO group story comes out talking about how Pegasus is using WhatsApp to hack Mm -hmm. people's WhatsApps. And also Paragon, two, two, two separate Israeli uh, spyware apps came out nearly in the same week last week or in the past two weeks about hacking into through WhatsApp Um, and WhatsApp trolling out its view once feature today, which deletes photos or videos from your chat after they've been opened by the recipient. And that will be really interesting if the if the Pegasus viewer viewing your photo makes it disappear (laughs) and then you never get to see it and then you'll know that you're being your phone's been hacked. Next big story, and I really like this one, uh, Apple and Affirm. Affirm is a buy now, pay later in America, started by Max Levchin, one of the co-founders of PayPal, uh, where he saw what Klarna was doing in Europe and said, ah, I can do that in America. And so he is. And now they're publicly traded. And so now they, their spike, absolute, their stock boomed uh, as soon as this headline was announced, as you can imagine. So now that you know what a firm is, it's the American buy now, pay later. And the headline is Apple and a firm uh, will launch buy now, pay later program for iPhone, Mac and iPad purchases uh, in Canada on August 11th. According to staff message, monthly installments to be offered in Canada on Apple devices company working on future service for all Apple Pay purchases. So a firm partnering with Apple. And the next big article is Q&A with YouTube's chief product officer, Neil Mohan, on monetizing shorts, which is YouTube's version of TikTok. 
and content moderation with Content ID, YouTube TV, competing with TikTok and more. And it's an interview. So there's not much for me to really share out of that. Although some of the tweets, what one Neely Patel from The Verge is editor of The Verge tweeted one of the questions and answers from the interview, which is, do you think YouTube Shorts is a competitor to TikTok? This is a stupid question. It's an incredibly obvious uh, uh, direct clone of TikTok. And he answers, who can say what is the same and what is different? That's his answer. (laughs) Very political. Okay. And then um, Neil himself tweeted that he spoke to Reckless for. Uh, for Verge Decoder podcast about new $100 million YouTube Shorts Fund. So that's kind of interesting news that YouTube has committed a $100 million fund to inspire creators to start using Shorts, their version of TikTok, and how we're innovating on behalf of YouTube creators and why we integrate a framework of responsibility into all our products. Other tweets on this issue or from this interview is... uh, uh, one person's take was that they were great questions by by The Verge, but very shitty answers from Neil, who has to defend a new product that is already dead. That's clearly somebody who likes TikTok. Um, so then there's a sub headline, which is YouTube will pay creators up to $10,000 a month for making original videos on YouTube shorts starting in 10 regions this month and paid out of its $100 million fund. Yeah, that's one way to kickstart a competitor. Um, is to have you know strongly inspire your top creators on your platform to start making content in that new format of shorts. They got to do it. TikTok's just a, a beast. Holy cow! Um, really growing like a weed, and it's an ex- not it's not entirely an existential threat to YouTube, but um, is a pain certainly a, a a thorn in their paw. So the next big article of the moment is that a report finds attacks on five Southeast Asian telcos since 2017 are linked to three Chinese cyber espionage groups, but found no signs of collaboration among those three groups. But they do find collaboration with the state. So it's three separate hacking groups with connections to the Chinese state that have attacked five Southeast Asian telcos since 2017. That's the headline. Um, which country? Which countries in Southeast Asia? Good question. Yes. Joe. Let's pop it open and have a looky-loo. The global telcos with tens of millions of subscribers. Based on our analysis, we assess that the, glo- the goal of the attackers behind these intrusions was to gain and maintain continuous access to t- telecommunication providers and to facilitate cyber espionage inside of those networks by collecting sensitive information compromising high profile business assets such as billing servers that contain call detail record data as well as key network components such as domain collectors web servers and microsoft exchange servers in a report it doesn't it doesn't say the three groups use different techniques to breach the same telcos and some remain active in the victims' networks for years. Yeah, so, so pretty all telcos around the world are compromised at any given time by several intelligence services, which is why most uh, undercovers or others use multiple phones, just something to know. And there's a lot of, um, when it comes to teleco compromising, where they download everybody's, uh, you know, basically everybody's data. And they try to look to, for who's talking to who. 
as a way of neutralizing uh, potential informants against their espionage. So this is like, this is a thing where it's actually, I think, kind of some of the first uses of like artificial intelligence were on basically large teleco data sets. Yeah, the, the quotes here are, we haven't observed a direct interaction between, there's three clusters of hackers. Um, but the quote is, we haven't observed direct interaction between the clusters. Okay, well, that makes sense. It's a mil, uh, it's a multi it's a mul it's a million dollar question. It can be very tempting to say that they are all connected and treat it as one big attack. However, based on our te telemetry, we did not observe a smoking gun type of direct communication amongst the three clusters, but nor should there be, honestly. It doesn't mean they're not connected. The truth is we simply don't know. One of the reasons we chose to share our findings with the community is to in is the hope that over time perhaps new information will shed light on the interesting overlap in addition sharing this research and attached indicators of compromise will help unearth additional victims while um, the the cyber reason organization who found this linked the three groups to intrusions at five southeast asian telcos the same three groups are also known to carry out operations in other geographical areas quote unquote there are likely other telcos compromised as charles says they're all compromised so um yeah the the point is it's cyber as as this article says it's cyber espionage they're able to listen in on conversations of you know high profile businesses and CEOs and they want to know everything that's going on with everybody it gives them I believe Cyber Reason is an Israeli company too just for what it's worth if memory serves on I'm this. sure Ken's yeah. looking that up as we speak <laughs> and I know I know bother. That, I just don't care enough anymore. Okay. <laughs> I know I know part of the reason um a lot of people like SpaceX and like satellite based internet is because it makes it harder to do these kind of hacks. Okay. So next big and also the countries. Yeah, the next so the three of the countries they named were Indonesia, Vietnam and Philippines, but the company uh, declined to answer about all of the uh Lior Div, chief executive of Cyber Reason. Uh -huh. Declined to name all the countries involved, but he named Vietnam, Philippines, and Indonesia, based on the fact that the same uh, agency hacking groups have previously targeted these countries as well. Okay, so thanks that for that. There. And also Perfect. the app is uh, they used with Potclair. Can you turn up? You you sound like you're yeah. five feet away from your mic, by the way. Oh, sorry. That's right. Um, yeah, I'm trying out a new something. So okay. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll tweet it out to you. Okay, next big article. Google consolidates its sign-in offerings with a new family of identity APIs called Google Identity Services, including a new one-tap sign-in prompt. And the question is, how long before this new Google uh, ID system connects with your state ID? I give it five months as Apple just did. And by the way, one of the big headlines in our last meeting about 12 hours ago was that Twitter now integrated Apple ID sign-in. As, as predicted, as, as was we got the special breaking news from uh, one of our audience members who DM'd me with receipts, and I got them uh, conveniently right here in my DMs, uh, where they, they, as a app... Um, you know, have to update their app regularly to the Apple App Store, just as Clubhouse does, just as every app does. And this time when they went to update their app, Apple insisted that they add Apple ID. And 
then sent in the correspondence that they had with Apple, which says uh, your app uses a third party login service like Facebook ID or Google uh, Facebook login or Google login, as nearly every app does these days, but does not offer sign in with Apple, which, yeah, nobody offers that with the exception of like, I don't know, it's hard to name an app that uses Apple login at this point their version of Facebook and Google login apps that use third party login services for account authentication need to offer sign in with Apple to users as an equivalent option. Next steps, please revise your app to offer sign in with Apple as, as an equivalent option for account authentication, you know, to have your app uh, approved for update in the Apple store, meaning you can no longer update your app until you add in Apple ID, which by the way, can connect with your state ID, which by the way, has very interesting implications. And now we're starting. And I said, they're going to do this to all the apps. They're going to start with the smaller apps because the smaller apps can't, don't have the, you know, muscle to go to the press and be like, Hey, Apple's forcing all of us to uh, use their Apple ID, which authenticates with your state IDs, which means authenticity verification for every user on every app kind of in the very near short term future. And now the fact that Twitter just added it, you're going to see all the apps added uh, within. Tyler, I just, I am uh, at Tradewell. We are launching a new app and they've required us to do Apple ID as well. Um, And that's like the last part of the integration that we've had to do. And it, they have all sorts of weird rules about genetics. And so I'm trying to negotiate with them now, but I've heard this from anyone who's built launching a new company. Like we're by no means, you know, unique in that respect that this is like the standard standard practice now for new apps going forward. Uh, so for this new Google one called OneTap, the OneTap prompt slides open from the bottom of the screen, blah, blah, blah. An update sign in, da, da, da. in practice, Google touts that Reddit implemented both features and increased both new user sign up and returning user conversions by almost 2x. Yeah, they're just you know, doing a new ID, Google identity services is called. So we've now we've got, it's kind of obvious where this is heading. If you're paying attention to the bread breadcrumbs, you know, where this is all going, this fits very nicely with my prediction that we're, you know, and now that Apple's done it. And what this does indicate is that the conspiracy theory at this point that it's actually the U.S. government who's telling Apple, hey, Apple, why don't you, um, you know, we would really appreciate it if you would, uh, you know, digitize state IDs and then use that for every app uh, in your ecosystem. And the fact that Google a week later is doing this Google identity services consolidation sign up for third party apps, it's nearly identical to what Apple's doing, tells is a rather... Uh, get strong smell in the air that the fact that they're both doing this simultaneously, separately, autonomously means that they're being directed from above. So take that for what it is. And I think the thing is, is you need the physical hardware layer to really use the face to unlock your universal password. And that means Google and Apple are, those are the two players in the, well, not just hardware, it's the operating system. yeah, Yeah. And, and so, you know, your, your face, not only has to biometrically match, you know, what they established, but it needs to AI match the face that's on the picture of your ID. So, you know, that's, that's the real link, you know, at the government layer. Now, 
uh, Charles will ask the question, how is this not racist? <laughs> and I agree with him. How is this not racist, right? That, you know, now you're forcing people to use, have an ID just to own a phone. So. And it says a simpler and safer future without passwords. They're promoting it as. Well, well so what, what are you? Like, if, if, you're, if you're authenticating without a password, uh, you know, what is the core authentication function, right? It's clearly something biometric. So, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, look, they want it to be that you use your face and you use biometrics to access the entire Internet. And eventually they'll want even more data on you, like your genetics, your fingerprints, whatever they can get. And the whole purpose of it is to, is to get as much data on you as possible so they can, you know, do an end run around Facebook and Google who they want to put the hit on. And the other side, too, is um, Internet of Things and accessing your house with wearables. So we're just going to get into that, like the ring, and you'll just, you know, make sure you're you going in your house. Some, some people won't even lock their homes anymore. And so we'll get to that soon, too. Okay. So Which, by the way, I support. I support all of this vision because I can never remember my passwords anyway. And the, second <laughs> I, the second I put a password in, it seems like it gets hacked. And then I find it on the dark web, and it's pretty hard to hack somebody's face. Although I'm sure there's somebody trying right now. Okay. But just mm. adding on top of that, um, identity as a service. Okay, so we always talk about banking as a service and all that. Um, from a payments perspective, right, Google Pay, Apple Pay, one thing you need to do is you need to validate yourself or verify yourself for payments. If Google are point. adding all this together, you can imagine that identity and payments are going to be in a direct use case yep. for them to deploy this. And one of this, one of this is a is a defensive move. Uh, Stripe have investments in a company called Fast.com. Um, so Dom over in San Fran is creating an awesome uh, single tap solution across the entire internet. So I think this is also a Google OS and an Apple OS defensive move to Stripe and Fast. Yeah, you're exactly right because uh, Stripe, the, the the strong fintech companies that actually have access to your bank accounts, of course, had your identity, and that's why Stripe launched the identity about a month ago, and we caught wind of that. It still isn't widely known, and you know we've got a little preview glimpse of that, and that's not a surprise because they have connections to your bank account, so they have your ID. Um, and your and your state ID to as banks do they were the you know the first kind of uh, websites that needed your state ID verification because it's connected to your bank account, and that's what allowed them to do these ID services. And then you're exactly right, which is the social networks don't have your state IDs, but in the case of Google and Apple, they do want to be stronger fintechs that do connect more directly with your banks and do. Um, enable kind of banking products and services. Hence, they're going to need your state ID anyways. And yeah, but interesting that this was nearly simultaneous, relatively. The Apple ID, this Google ID, both connecting with state IDs within the same week. That's a that's a really interesting coincidence. Because It's because of the real ID law that's going into effect in the U.S. Um, that's sort of why everybody's setting that up for this. And it was somewhat delayed because of COVID. But and the the other part of this too, and the reason you're seeing like Stripe do a lot more stuff in sort of sub-Saharan Africa is there are a lot of players that want to use like facial rec and banking services to go from the bank into creating people their own IDs. So there's like a lot of the world that doesn't have, you know, uh, ID, and so they're going to try to use their technology services to provide that ID 
so they can basically like kind of do an end run around the banking system in a lot of these countries. It's a related headline uh, from Apple itself, apple.com, student IDs on iPhones and Apple Watch expand to Canada and more U.S. universities coming this school year. Tens of thousands of college students in the U.S. and Canada will enjoy the convenience of mobile state student IDs in their Apple wallet. So it's a verified student ID, basically. So um, next big headline here is... Amazon, actually, this... Yeah? Sorry, the Amazon Palm, have you talked about that? I was just about to say that myself. Thank you, Ah. Haman. Yeah, it was a headline (laughs) yesterday. Amazon's now paying $100 to scan your palm, and that's a biometric ID as well. And clearly one of the use cases they have in mind is there are supermarkets that have no staff at all. You walk in, you fill your cart, you walk out, but you need to pay somehow, and they want to make that payment as simple as possible. And so now you just lay your palm down on a piece of glass as you walk out. And they even said as much that they were testing that in their uh, Whole food stores were going to offer palm payment checkout option. I've, you- I've tested this before, by the way. And if your hands are really sweaty, it doesn't work. Just so you Ooh. know. Just FYI. But it's, do you actually sweat- touch it or is it hovering? Is it hovering? The, over one, the-, the one I used was an Amazon product where you put your hand on it. Like you actually touch it. And in my case, my hands get very sweaty and it like wouldn't work. So I had to like wipe my hands off and try it again, which is kind of gross. Okay. So the next big headline at this very moment is Facebook says it has disabled accounts, apps, pages, and access to its APIs for researchers running NYU's ad observatory project, citing terms of service violations. And it's kind of interesting because this NYU lab was basically uh, putting a microscope on what Facebook is fundamentally in some sense, although their findings, um, which we started to see headlines six months ago, well, not six months ago, four months ago about this lab. I remember the the headlines and they were coming up with findings that clearly indicated they were no friend of Facebook. And so Facebook uh, has shut it down, uh, all of their access to continue their studies and then the the quote now is that facebook is silencing us because our work often calls attention to problems on its platform edelson wrote in an emailed statement worst of all facebook is using user privacy a core belief that we have always put first in our work as a pretext for doing this if this episode demonstrates anything it's that facebook should not have veto power over who is allowed to study them Uh, so let me read from the the top of the article, uh, Facebook disables accounts tied to NYU research project company says researchers of political ads were scraping data, which yeah, they probably were. And maybe that's against their policies. NYU's ad observatory got cease and desist le- letter last October. As I mentioned, this is this lab has been going on for a while, trying to put a microscope on everything Facebook does. Facebook has disabled the personal accounts of a group of New York NYU researchers, NYU University, New York University researchers studying political ads on the social network, claiming they are scraping data in violation of the company's terms of service. The company also cut off researchers access to Facebook's APIs, technology that is used to share data from Facebook to other apps or services and disabled other apps pages associated with the research project, according to Mike Clark, a director of product management at Facebook's privacy team. The researchers are part of a project called NYU Ad Observatory, which asks people to download a browser extension that collects data on what political ads the users see on Facebook and how those ads were targeted. Political ads on Facebook have been a source of contention for years. The company has a controversial policy against fact-checking. 
uh, political ads, which led to criticism that candidates would pay the company to spread lies through their ads. Facebook eventually halted all new political ads in the weeks leading up to the 2020 election in an effort to fight misinformation. Last October, Facebook sent their researchers a cease and desist letter demanding they stop collecting targeted data about Facebook's political ads and threatening an additional enforcement action. Laura Edelson, a researcher at NYU's School of Engineering, told the Wall Street Journal at the time that the group would stop if Facebook published the more nuanced data itself that it's trying to expose, which is the funding of these uh, ads that are based on misinformation is essentially similar to the TV ads that we see in America where the political candidates, by the way, America is quite unique in its um, political ads where the people running for offices in these elections start running incredibly nasty ads against each other on TV claiming, you know, this guy's a pedophile and he's done all this crazy shit. It gets wild. This does not exist in many countries, uh, America is quite unique in these, you know, amazingly, these amazing ads that these people, uh, you know, create against each other. So anyway, they're, they've now, in the age of social media, taken these ads to Facebook. And they're paying for political ads against their opponents. As normally, these are very attacking ads against their opponents. Anyway, so last October, Facebook sent the researchers to cease and desist. And the researcher, or no, Facebook is offering Clark said Facebook offers targeting data sets for political ads and has suggested the NYU group uses that information. According to Facebook's terms of service, a user may not access all collect data from our products using automated means without prior permission or attempt to access data that you do not have permission to access. Facebook moved to penalize the researchers in part to remain in compliance with the 2019 data privacy agreement with the FTC in which the company was punished for failing to police how data was collected by outside developers. Clark said Facebook was fined a record $5 billion as part of a settlement with regulators. Edelson, a PhD candidate in computer science and the lead researcher behind the group, confirmed that her personal Facebook account and those of some of her colleagues were disabled Tuesday night by cutting the group's access to Facebook data stream. The company is essentially ending NYU's effort to study misinformation and political ads. Hence her quote, Facebook is silencing us because our work often calls attention to problems on this platform. There we go. I love this, by the way. I love every minute of this. I'm deeply, deeply enthralled by it. And of course, all the journalists said and you know compared what happened to these uh, researchers at NYU to Clearview, saying like, why is Clearview? Why are why are Clearview's users not or you know founders not banned? And interestingly, some of some of us have been banned from Facebook. And many of us don't really miss being banned from Facebook. So just something to think about. Being banned from Facebook, there's life after it. Um, But I think in general here, there's really this larger question of like, to what extent do we have a right to scrape publicly available information on the Internet? And there have been a whole number of court cases on this. And every time it's been litigated, the major tech companies have lost. Uh, that It has been firmly established in the Seventh Circuit. It's been established all the way up to the Supreme Court. And I, I think people are going to be very surprised that, that what's going on here is really Facebook retaliating because they don't want people to poking into their business model and how it optimizes for in, engagement and enragement over actually what's good for for actual societies. And so I think this is actually a test case that's being set up to put the hurt on Facebook, and I couldn't be happier about it. Anybody else? Quick comment on that one. Uh, Next, 
big well one real quickly on her real dissertation real on her dissertation yeah she'll have to like probably switch which is probably fuck because she said she's a phd candidate so that means she was going to going to do her dissertation in defense on that and they've been going for a while that hopefully they have enough data to write her yeah. phd dissertation <laughs> yeah anyway well yeah the fact that she got uh nation a uh, national attention for nyu's computer you know lab i mean that maybe maybe that carry some sway in uh, in uh, granting her do you think uh, i should file an amicus curai brief in her defense as a co-founder of clearview <laughs> go ahead charles yes. what do you think I, uh, i'll crowdsource that message me if you think she I should might know it. more than she's able to say in the press so I mean, there might be some uh, somebody should interview her anyways uh kind of in a long format you could you could let's invite her in here and let's let's see if she's got something to say hey, hey, I'm just looking at something. If you could comment, I'd be curious. I understand that there was a case in 2015 or 16 in the Ninth Circuit that the court actually held in favor of Facebook. They said that Facebook is different than Twitter and some of the other, um, you know, uh, companies like that because you have to log into to, they they basically uh, you know held held they held for Facebook in this case about kind of scraping stuff where they basically distinguish Facebook from some other things like Twitter. I don't know if you're familiar yeah, the with basic, that. The basic rule is that if it's gated, right, like if there's a password protecting it, then you can't scrape the things that are under it. But if it's open settings, like if it's left open to the rest of the internet, then you can scrape it. The case okay. for those who are interested is HiQ, HIQ versus LinkedIn. That's the one to really look at that's controlling law right now. Okay. So the next biggest headline at this very moment is Microsoft tells employees it will require proof of vaccination to enter Microsoft building in the U.S. starting in September with medical and religious except, exemptions. The next big headline, and this is a fun Unless one. you're Jeffrey Epstein, right? Unless you're Jeffrey Epstein. Then you get to go with <laughs> um, we This app, Citizen, um, we had a headline recently. Well, it started the first headline around Citizen was a couple months ago, where they got all kind of. There was people were reporting a Citizen vehicle that looked like a police vehicle driving around L.A., and somebody was committing some arson, and then they put out a bounty for several thousand dollars to try and catch somebody, and they showed the person turned out to be the wrong person, and that got all, <laughs> understandably, a little bit crazy. And then they were in the news more recently that they are paying what are called stringers, which Charles and I were searching for the word, which are stringers are people who go out and capture news who don't actually work for a news agency, but they go well, around so not swingers. No, not swingers. Stringers is okay. the technical term in the biz of. Beth, citizens. not to get those confused. Yeah, I know it's not. I just want to make sure it was a previous conversation was different. So, that's why. so yeah. stringers are people who go out and try and catch news either on photo or on video and then sell that content to news networks. And anyway, so citizen is paying people to do exactly that. And because citizen as an app basically is a way for citizens to see what's going on in their neighborhood. If shit's going down, if there's a burglary or a fight or a stabbing or what have you. And People can now see on a map what's going on around them. And then when those incidences happen, they want to inspire people to go video record it and get video content and photo content and audio content of those incidences in real time. And they're paying uh, 
about $200 a day in New York and LA to go do that for an eight or 10 hour shift. And so they encourage you to follow police cars that are in pursuit with their sirens on, you know, and ambulances and whatnot. And then we were joking when we were reading that, that, and I kind of jokingly predicted that what the next thing we're going to see is um, a pro version of the app where when shit's going down too close to your house, you can press the backup button and they will send backup to your house to protect you. And indeed, that's this headline that I'm now about to read, which is controversial crime app citizen launches $20 a month protect service. After months of testing with upwards of 100,000 beta testers, Citizen Today launched its premium protect offering for all users. The subscription service runs $20 a month and opens up a number of features on the app. Chief amongst the new paid features is Get Agent button, which offers access to a citizen operator for a number of different scenarios. The company says it exists for instances where a user may not want to be seen calling 911, whether that's a matter of personal safety or other issues around calling the police. No doubt depends on both the user and the situation, the agent, the agents effectively work as a conduit to emergency operators. For many citizens, various controversies have overshadowed its recent in recent years. Initially, after it's launched as a vigilante, the app made news earlier this year for launching a private personal rapid response service, fleet of vehicles, and a reward for a person wrongly accused as starting LA wildfires. Our protect agents are highly trained safety experts who are equipped to help in a variety of stressful or uncertain situations. The company wrote about its new service. They personalize your experience to the situation. They can escalate to 911, provide first responders with your precise location alert, blah, 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 blah. Other key feature here is the new protect mode, which again offers quick access to aforementioned agent. When enabled in a questionable situation, the app will live monitor the user's audio feed using AI to detect for things like screams, offering up a connection to an agent. And if you don't respond, it will auto connect you. Users can also shake the phone twice as an access to an agent directly. So um, it's uh, kind of no doubt we're going to see, by the way, Peter Thiel and Sequoia are both investors in Citizen. And and it and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this company evolves. Next, and this is being covered by CNN. This and the headline from CNN is: This controversial real-time crime alert app is now selling access to safety agents. Reuters headline is: Crime app citizens rolls out fee-based tool for U.S. users to contact safety agents. And Wired and Gizmodo and The Virgin and Gadget and Geeks are very understandably interested in 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 this uh, kind of private uh, alternative to policing in a, in a sense. But I'm just curious, like how much compromise is going to happen with this? Because the citizens AI apparently listens through its microphone for sounds of obvious distress, screaming, and then asks if you'd like to be connected. So I'm just wondering, like, what if the screaming is not due to distress and, you know, it's with someone who's not your wife, and you've got a recording now and somebody secret service or something like has that recording and they could go, well, you know. Welcome to being yeah. an internet user in 2021 where everyone's starting to understand that their microphones are on all the time <laughs> and what could possibly go wrong. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, a well, year ago. It's not going to end well. I want to go strongly. I want to be strongly on the side of saying this is not going to end well. No. <laughs> and all it takes is Peter Thiel's some sound to be recorded, and that's it. He's going to shut this thing down fast. 
T-Mobile confirms that it will shut down Sprint's LTE network by June 30th, allowing following its decision to shut down Sprint's 3G CDMA network. And who cares? India's based Parat Pay, which helps offline merchants accept digital payments, raises $370 million from Tiger Global at a $2.85 billion valuation. So again, in Indian fintechs still booming, which is enabling all the other products and services to build on top of the fintech layer. India booming, booming, booming. Next, we're going to see South America and African fintechs booming. And we're already seeing a bit of that in Southeast Asia. And Robinhood stock closes up 24% on the day's trading, blowing past its IPO price of $38 and becoming the day's top traded stock on Fidelity. Hey, Tyler, just let me say on the T-Mobile thing, even though you ran, you ran by it. Yeah. Some of the telecom analysts I know on Wall Street think there's a possibility that the government may require that T-Mobile keep the Sprint thing open longer than, than T-Mobile wants to. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> the next big headline of the very moment is um, the Pixel 6 from Google that we went into depth yesterday, so we don't need to go too deep today. But essentially, Google is fundamentally an AI company, and they've invested for many years very strongly in the AI space. And so they need a special... AI system on a chip to take advantage of all of that. So they've put that into the new Google Pixel 6. It's called the Tensor SOC, system on a chip. And it can do image uh, identification, object identification in practically real time, which of all the, there's amazing use cases for that. Like you can look at a dog, it'll tell you the breed of dog. You could look at any object, it'll tell you all kinds of interesting things about that object. It recognizes the object. And that pay opens the door for, to me, the most interesting use case and most monetizable use case, most lucrative use case is um, AR shopping with, through your phone. So you don't need to search on Amazon through text. You can just point your camera to any object, a pair of shoes or a watch or a bag or a water bottle. It will recognize the object and allow you to one-click purchase the object. And if I were going to do a startup today, it would be precisely that. Because that's going to be fantastically fucking tremendously huge. Uh, that is how we're going to shop in the future, uh, especially when everyone starts announcing their AR glasses, as Facebook is already formally announced they will do before the end of the year in their partnership with Ray-Ban, which if it'll be interesting to see um, the race between Amazon and Facebook and Google and the other AR players. Snapchat is also a notable player in this space. And in fact, Snapchat, there was a headline they just acquired um, a key person from Oculus to join Snapchat's uh, AR team. So it's um, if the race is towards the highly monetizable use cases, which is AR shopping, which is object recognition of every object and one-click purchase. It's going to be insanely, ridiculously, unimaginably, transformatively huge. How Michael Dell oversaw Dell's expansion after taking it private, growing the company to $75 billion by focusing on providing infrastructure to business and others. Connor, just a question on the yeah. Snapchat one. Do yeah. you remember whenever we covered the the Instagram for the for the kids? Yes. And they're not going to collect the data. They're not going to target adverts to the data. My question is more around the Snapchat frame of reference. So are they, you know, considering like my sons and daughters are snapping their faces like hundreds of times a day as a method of communication. Like they're going to get great um, kind of 
validity on the facial rec, but are, are they saying anything about the targeted ads or are they currently doing it? I'm, I'm just ignorant in terms of that frame. Snapchat? Yeah. I've not seen any. Now, Snapchat manages to fly under the radar. I, they keep a real low profile with regard to press generally. And they don't come under, you know, the heat of, you know, the Google, Facebook, Amazon, you know, heat that yes. they all get. And so you're right. I mean, it's only just due to the fact that they're not, you know. Um... If, you both in, if you both in three threads that we talk about. But t- TikTok, and, TikTok and Snapchat both are getting a bit of a pass at the moment with regard to data scrutiny and how they're using all this data only because they're not the biggest, you know, shark in the sea. You know, they're the, you know, they're the uh, one step, you know, just a bit down but the data is equally important and so yeah imagine imagine buy now and social commerce plus snapchat (laughs) but it's also because the 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 policy makers the regulators the lawyers they themselves aren't users of tiktok and snapchat generally It's, it's younger demographic generally you know it's the under 20 22 23 24 25 year old crowd so it's not really personally relevant to all of the folks that are you know users of google and apple and amazon and that's why they're cracking down so i i think it's only i I think it's only a matter of time before snapchat and tiktok both um start coming under um pressure in the same ways that the other big ones are with regard to their data issues so the uh that was the michael dell story the next big one is about Amazon, it says sources that NLRB probe found Amazon illegally interfered with workers organizing in Staten Island, New York. NLRB officer recommends election rerun for Alabama warehouse. That's the National Labor Relations Board. And this is kind of a hot story because it's all about Amazon unionization, basically, which is Amazon's biggest nightmare. This this is what Amazon worries about more than anything, period. More than any competitor they have, more than anything, they worry about unionization because that would be an existential threat to their business model, to their company, of, of Am- not, not to Amazon Cloud, AWS, which is itself huge, and not to their future as Amazon Health, but to Amazon Shopping as we know it. It, it fundamentally... Um, could cease to exist if people are unionized. Do you really believe that? I, mean... I, I, it, it, I don't know. It depends on how strong the unions are in, if you, I don't know. It, what would well, well, Chris, here's, a, here's a question. Do you want to pay $60 a month for Prime? That's the answer. Well, well, I mean, look, there are lots of ways that they can structure it so that power users of Prime pay more. There are lots of ways they can pass the cost, you know, the costs on to people who use their, uh, cloud hosting business, which has some of the fattest profits in the entire tech industry. I mean, there are lots of ways that Amazon could decide if it so chose to do what Henry Ford did and others have done historically, which was to pay an efficiency wage. I mean, Amazon is making this choice, you know, very deliberately of, of, you know, having many of these fulfillment centers in areas that are racially and ethnically diverse. I mean, their own memos suggest that they do this so as to tamp down on the threat of unionization. And so, look, I mean, 
you know, I, I favor what Tyler's talked about in the past of basically taking the youths of America and showing them what their future looks like if they if they don't study up, you know, scaring them straight by taking them to the Amazon, you know, place. But I mean, the profits that Amazon is generating, I mean, you, we can all read, you know, it's publicly available. It's it's pretty considerable on their cloud hosting business. And maybe they should use some of the money from that to, you know, actually pay their workers better and, and have better conditions rather than, you know, putting Bezos into space. Well, well I think- separate those two things, because a lot of times, it's- and we, I, have, I have a lot of industries I follow that have these issues. It's a lot of times it's not about the wages. A lot of times it's about work rules that, you know, basically you can't fire anybody and things like that. It's not so much about the, like, particularly in Amazon's case where they've raised the wages. Yep. I don't think the issue is the wages. That They have pretty good benefits. I think it's what well, you're talking about, the working conditions. That's it's right. Not, yeah. Yeah. The working conditions. From my understanding, I mean, I haven't followed this as closely as I did like a few years back. But my understanding of it is that the working conditions are particularly egregious, particularly in some of their southern facilities. Um I don't know about the Long Island one, but that that's my understanding of how, how it is, is that in Alabama and in Texas and a few other places, they're actually even far worse than their facilities in Washington and some of the other parts of the country. OK, so the, let me um, read this. Well, one other point, though, is um, uh, Jesus Christ, it just slipped my mind. Let me just read this paragraph. Amazon's illegal. So the, the point of this article is. That is uh, Amazon illegally prohibited an employee from giving at workers pro-union literature, confiscated that literature, and gave workers the impression that their organizing activity was being surveilled at the company's Staten Island Fulfillment Center in New York, according to the National Labor Relations Board. Charges and other documentation reviewed by Motherboard and the NLRB investigation found that Amazon illegally prohibited Connor Spence, a Staten Island employee involved in union organizing from distributing pro-union literature in a break room on May 16th, and then confiscated the literature also in violation of U.S. labor law, according to evidence provided by NLRB to the union's attorney. Connor spent a 25-year-old warehouse worker at Amazon's JFK 8 Fulfillment Center in Staten Island who filed the unfair label practice charge, told Motherboard he was in the break room distributing leaflets about unions and copies of a notice that Amazon had to post in Queens Warehouse for violating workers' union rights when an Amazon security guard approached him and told him he did not have permission to distribute the leaflets. He took the union literature away and wouldn't give it back, Spence told Motherboard. I filed the, the charge so that there's accountability in place that prevents them from doing this in the future. Following the defeat of a high-profile union drive at a warehouse in Bessemer, Alabama this April, Amazon warehouse workers in Staten Island have been busy organizing their own independent union known as Amazon Labor Union. Amazon is very obviously anti-union, uh, is uh, a quote here. They cross the line a lot when it comes to stopping workers from unionizing, Spence said. Unfortunately, labor law isn't very strong in our country, but I'm hoping Amazon cares about its image and these stains on their record. The finding comes the same day as NLRB officer in Alabama released a report recommending the return or the rerun of a union election in Amazon warehouse in Bessemer, Alabama. The Bessemer campaign marked the highest profile effort to date to unionize an Amazon warehouse in the United States and inspired groups of Amazon workers around the country to take steps toward unionizing. The NLRB report on the Bessemer election found that Amazon illegally discouraged labor organizing, organizing in part by pushing post office officials to install a mailbox 
outside the warehouse where workers were urged to drop their mail-in ballots, which an NLRB officer wrote destroyed the laboratory conditions and justifies a second election. Uh, so they can were controlling the mailbox outside of their warehouse, and they they hit. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and, I mean, like like Amazon does not look good in these kind of situations. And I say that, by the way, like I'm an Amazon shareholder. Like I have great respect for Jeff Bezos, but like this is not you're not supposed to do this with American labor law. Like, we're not China, you know, like we, people have rights here. And I, I think, Charles, it's going to split off, though. I think AWS is going to split off from Amazon. And well, here, I've heard from my board members that's what's yeah, coming. Yeah, I've, I've heard that that might happen, but I'll believe it when I see it, because I think that they use AWS to subsidize the So here's the, the thing, though. The Staten Island one was clearly inspired by the Alabama one. The Alabama one had it unionized. And knowing, Amazon now knowing, looking at Staten Island, that if one of the factories unionizes, they, it will be dominoes, and they all will. So all of them will be unionized. Knowing that, if one of them does unionize, they will instantly shut down the factory and tell everyone you're all fired now. And sending a message to the rest that you cannot do this. So I don't know that this is even worth debating because I can, I will have, would anyone like to bet me any amount of money? I I bet they are going to redo the vote in Alabama. I bet there, there's a very good chance that they will, the, pro-union will win in that rerun election, and I'm predicting they will shut down the factory within a week of that happening to prevent all the other factories from doing the same. No, I don't think that I don't think they'll shut it down. I think that they'll probably even before the vote is cast, they'll probably make like some halfway measure reforms. Concessions or something. Uh, I think I think I think Bert and Ernie are coming in and just gonna great that was my point. Thank you, Chris. Bert and Ernie are the robots at Amazon. That's what they're named. And so this is all if if Amazon can just w- delay this another 12 months to 16 months, they're going they must be pushing tremendously on the robotics front as we speak to avoid. No, this. Look, I mean, that that that's ultimately the solution here. Right. Like, I mean, higher higher wages almost everywhere leads to more technological innovation. And they're going to. And that's They're what's going to happen here, right? I mean, you see this with these self-checkout kiosks. You see this with the, the rise of vending machines. You see this with all sorts of robotics but, on farming. But, but they get to so, justify yeah. it by using the human suffering that is their warehouse, right? And they get to kind of play like the, well, we have to do it because we have no choice. Um, but they're kind of, you know, like, believe it or not, this unionization is actually playing out for the robots, which is what Amazon ultimately wants, right? So... There, this is happening at the right time, and like th- Tyler says, twelve months. What what is it going to be? But at some point, it's going to become. Yeah, well, you know what? It makes more sense to have robots. You don't want someone to get crushed by a pallet, right? Like that's what's going to come out next. Is that the conditions I, I, are so deplorable that human beings shouldn't be doing the job anyway? It should be a robot job. I used to know a lot of these anti-union activist types, like in you know, national right to work types in uh, Northern Virginia and DC. And what they typically do is they'll, they'll identify the, the problematic people at a union or like trying to be, and they'll, they'll figure out ways to get them to quit or fire them. And then everyone else will basically get an increased, you know, an, an increased deal. Um, so there's lots of like tactics that like union busters have at their disposal beyond just automating everything. Although ultimately the goal will be to automate everything. 
Yeah. And that's true for even like if you think of Uber and everyone else, I mean, ultimately, they're just trying to kill time until the eventual autonomous and robotics. And I think, unfortunately, the government's playing a bad role, right? They're not helping people retrain for better jobs. And these people are moving from union jobs previously, and they're used to a certain industry and they're coming. Unfortunately, these are the jobs that are available to them. They're bringing the same idea. And I think, I mean, I, I feel for that as well. But I think coming going forward, it's a role of government to also say, look, we need to retrain these people more than anything for the newer jobs that are coming up. Uh, no yeah, one's but, doing hey, man, don't see that it, in a big way. But hey, man, it's pretty difficult. Like if you look at California in the fires, you've got the people who are picking the grapes or suffering the conditions. At oh, some yeah. point with climate change and artificial intelligence, and I'm in that as a service, you're just going to need some UBI because I don't think, I've said this before, we're not going to have the jobs we have in the future. We're just going to, in about 10 years, it's going to be extremely different than what it looks like today. And a lot of these top players know this. Um, and like what Tyler would say, with commerce and you're buying commerce from your local business, maybe you do that or you get a drone delivering it. The society will be really reshaped. I really think with, with climate migration as well. And so I don't know. Governments are reactive. They don't know how to deal with this, I think. But UBI is just temporary, right? But I think the key thing is retraining. It's like infrastructure. You need to invest in people. That's what, honestly, like if you look at the whole global scheme of things, U.S. is way behind on this. Piece. I may be wrong. And even Canada, the same thing. At least we're actually encouraging immigration and we're trying to work on that. China is like taking radical draconian steps to just do that, right? If you look at recently, they actually said, um, I'm not, by the way, by the way, reason I parrot, like sometimes I've said China so many times, you might think I'm paid by CPP. CPP or CPP? No, sorry, CCP. No, I'm not, by the way. I wish I was, but no, I'm not. And I'll tell you if I was. Uh, but the key thing is like even their gig economy, they recently announced the gig economy workers uh, should be paid a fair wage, they said, right? Not minimum wage. So they actually told companies to pay them a fair wage because they know that if they keep the public happy, there won't be a revolution. So even like everything from not only their educational rules, like you know the chain, making sure the educational companies don't uh, pillage these poor people and single people, and uh, you know scare them from not having kids, uh, to income, and then what was the other thing? The housing part. That's what the third thing, right? The three big costs. They're actually taking care of it. U.S. What do we have? Mansion. His daughter makes thirty million dollars off a, a deal with a pharmaceutical company, and the company's moving out of the town. So, like, when you have political leaders in the U.S. who are making profits off of these uh, companies that are, like, sort of working on the backs of these workers, I mean, what can you get? Like, you're not getting any change. Honestly, if Biden pulls out Manchin and says, look, buddy, you are not even defending your own locals because your daughter was the CEO or I'm not sure. But she got a $30 million golden parachute from a pharmaceutical company that's leaving that town that he is responsible for. Right. So it's so much controversy there. No one talks about. It. OK, next big headline at the moment is the over from The Washington Post overview of the severe shortage of cybersecurity workers across the U.S. government and private sector, meaning everywhere, despite the unprecedented slate of hacking threats. Yeah, because, well, uh, as prices go up, you'll start to see more people studying that and filling those gaps. It just takes time. We're seeing the attacks now. You'll see a, a, a huge surge of people are training for that as we speak, no doubt. And uh, yeah, and all the all the major players already pay way more than the government current jobs are offering. I mean, well, not only you know, that, 
the, the real lucrative money is to build a cybersecurity startup, a scalable totally. solution. It's not about being an, in, there's not a real, I mean, geeks are going to geek and geeks understand humans are not scalable. Software is, I can build, and the Israelis know this better than anybody, is we build a cybersecurity company that offers us a solution that a, a million companies can use. I, as an individual, can only work for a few companies as a consultant. I can make software that works for a million companies and make billions of dollars. Why the fuck would I go work for you as an individual when I can start a company, write software that then millions of companies can use and I can make billions of dollars? That's why there's a shortage of cybersecurity uh, workers because they're too smart to be a fucking worker. They're going to be a developer and write code that scales to thousands of companies to make billions of dollars. Or be a bug hunter. I mean, all the bug hunters yeah. I know are just like cleaning up. Like if you find a hole in any of the major like Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Google, Microsoft products, like it's worth like one million to five million dollars. So like, you know, when they're when they're offering like ninety thousand dollars to live in like northern Virginia, like forget it. It's it's a waste of your time. And then the other thing they're doing too, which is hilarious right now is the feds are going to everyone who's like gone to jail for cyber hacking or for like cyber violations. <laughs> you want to get out early? And they're, and they're basically saying, yeah, they're basically saying to them, Hey, so uh, you don't like federal prison. We need your help. That's like going on imminently. I got a, I got a call today about like talking to somebody who's in federal prison for hacking and whether or not I can persuade them to come help the U S government. And, uh, and so I think you're going to see a lot more of that over the next few years. Charles, when you said bug hunter, I actually thought you actually meant protein hunters, like people in going out and getting bugs for the new protein. Yeah, don't uh, don't generation. don't embarrass yourself like that, uh, Heyman. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's but, tech news. I forgot. Yeah, the next big headline is a bipartisan Senate investigation finds that despite years of warnings, many U.S. government agencies have not established effective cybersecurity programs. Well, maybe it has something to do with the previous headline that, that, that there's not enough cybersecurity workers. And indeed, well, there's uh, no punishment. There's no punishment if you have buggy software and you're one of these industries. I mean, they still run like I mean, I've gone to like I've, I've flown in helicopters where they use Windows XP. Like, Ouch. I mean, you would not believe the shit that the U.S. federal government uses. Like you just it's like it, it boggles the mind. You're like, wait, you spend 12 million dollars on this missile to kill people, but you won't get like the latest version of Word. Like, seriously, that you won't even update your software. I mean, it's that pathetic. They don't make them in floppies anymore, bro. <laughs> what? Several major federal agencies continue to fail to address recurring cybersecurity vulnerabilities or implement basic standards. And here's here's why. Let me unpack what's going on here. It's because there are people who get it, uh, that get tech, that like tech, that understand it, that embrace it, that see it as the opportunity that it is. And there's people who are afraid of it, don't understand it, confused by it, intimidated by it, feel anxiety around it. And... Uh, those people go into different job categories like running restaurants and flower shops and cake shops and beauty shops and whatever. They don't want to be around tech. They, they are, they're not geeks. They don't like it. I know because I did a startup that tried to write software for those people. And boy, was that frustrating. And I was warned by Mark Suster, notably the, the best investor in Los Angeles in the LA tech community. Hey, Mark who was a kind of a bit of a personal mentor to me, and I can't speak highly enough about, absolutely love Mark Zuster. And he said to me, don't do this. I'm on the board of a company that's writing, you know, is a, uh, providing innovations for, you know, the big uh, uh, fast food franchises. And my God, 
you know, the managers at those fast food franchises uh, can't figure out how to do reply all on an email or how to use the tab key on a keyboard. So trust me, you don't want to be writing apps for these people. They fundamentally can't learn how to use an app regardless of how simple you make it. And I realized there the the the, the non tech the non geek folks disproportionately run into different categories and they run into governance. And every politician I've ever met is with very few exceptions are technically illiterate. And you know this because when you see the Senate hearings in the US and congressional hearings where they bring in the CEOs of Apple and Google and Facebook, it turns into a uh, you know technical assistance of you know how how do I reboot my you know how do I log back into my Facebook account, Mr. Mark Zuckerberg? There's and- a huge like um, drop off I've noticed um, based on the year of birth, where yeah, you're either generally technical or you're not. Like it seems to be right around seventy eight. You know, like so for me, I was born in seventy nine, so I got to see it all. I played with computers when I was like five or six, but I was like I'm a geek. Yeah, but people, so like, people, people, my point is people in government are about as, as oh, yeah, far on so the spectrum. They're, well, yeah, so, but they're, they're, they're older. They, they skew older. That's true. But they also just they, they are in the far extreme of the spectrum of tech phobic. Like they just fundamentally. They're, they're like, yeah, they're like they're they, they do the the seek and peck where it's like one finger at a time typing. Right? No, they just avoid the no, keyboard in general. No. It depends a lot on which part of the government, right? Yeah, like, that too. You could bring people in here from NSA or CIA or whatever who would like who would be very comfortable in this room, and many of them actually listen yep. in and send yep. me things to say. Yep. So it's but like health and human services, uh, you know, or like you know parts of DHS, uh, you know, those a lot of those are ex cops, right? So there's a lot of like you know the government is not a monolith by any means, but I think the real issue is. There's no forcing function that will actually like force the government to do better, better at this. And that's why in the infrastructure bill, you're seeing like their real penalties and their real carrots and penalties are, you know, sticks and carrots for the government to force much more cyber, you know, awareness, cyber uh, security, not just on um, not just on the public sector, but also on the private sector. Uh, and I think a lot of this will be sort of disciplined with insurance uh, over time, too, because yeah. if you're not implementing the most basic of procedures, then you'll be negligent and get in serious trouble. Match Group, which is the owner of Tinder, um, reports their Q2 revenue. So it's essentially Tinder because Tinder's kind of taken over the dating space. Generally, the Q2 revenue is of seven hundred and eight million up um, five hundred and fifty five million year over year up from 500 so that's a very small increase actually versus an estimated so oh really bad quarter for match group and that's because sean rad who i consider a very good friend um resigned well kind of politically forced out resigned uh out of tinder um uh, several months ago and what's the real story there oh Uh, i wish i could tell you well, it's the, 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 I know the, the real I know the real story, but maybe that's for another time. It's about who own who owned the company, really. And um, Barry the, Diller is not a nice man. No, <laughs> it, 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 it's that you could simplify it to that in a way. Um, it comes down to the nature of uh, who really controls Tinder, who who controlled Tinder. 
And there, there's the big lawsuit that that's why Sean's kept a very low profile as of late. And he and, and other key people in the company are, you know, working to get what they feel is their fair share out of it also. Well, there's all this litigation around it right now, yep. right? It hasn't, yeah. it hasn't adjudicated as yet. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, he's popped in the room into the audience from time to time. And uh, I don't often call it out, but uh, it's kind of fun to hear him, see him listening in the room here. Um, researchers were able to quickly circumvent security protections of a laptop that followed virtually all NIST recommendations, including TPM and UEFI secure boot, um, which means, yeah, there's no security. <laughs> Just your daily reminder, it's all open. All of it, everywhere, every device you have is all open. And it will be for the foreseeable future. That's, that's the quick summary for you. Uh, converting geekies to uh, simple English. So uh, Lyft did its Q2 report up 125% year over year. And what else do you need to know about that? Not much. Anonymous messaging app Sendit, which uses SnapKit to work with Snapchat feature sur surges with 3.5 million installs. Gonna be, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, yeah. Two months after Snap banned YOLO, which was their anonymous messaging app. So some people still want to have anonymous messaging, but we'll see how that works out. Uh, Apple makes a magic keyboard with a touch ID available as a standalone product for 149 bucks. Former Facebook elections integrity head criticizes Facebook for using preemptive non-disparagement clauses to silence employees, which is... Um, Indeed, if you sign a contract that says you can't disparage the company uh, once you're terminated, you can't uh, say uh, <laughs> why you're disgruntled with the company or why you decided to leave or why they fired you or anything like that. And um, yeah, so we'll see if that what, what shakes out of that. Facebook confirms it's building a team of AI researchers to study ways of analyzing encrypted data without decrypting it, potentially helping better better target ads. Yeah, no doubt they are because Apple and Google are and others are encrypting their data and Facebook's confirmed they're building an AI team to uh, analyze that data without decrypting it to keep their um, ad market, their ad network um, chugging along. The What else do we got? China's top state propaganda outlets jointly call for limits on the role of algorithms in context distribution to help improve culture and art reviews. This is a really interesting one. And this is from a Chinese outlet, South China Morning Post. The headline is, China's top propaganda agencies want to limit the role of algorithms in distributing online content, meaning TikTok, basically. They want to limit the influence of TikTok in China around culture. And it says the policy guidelines make the uh, mark the latest effort by Beijing to align with online content which with the state's agenda to rein in the role of capital and technology. The policy guidelines also stress that China will improve the standards of literacy and art criticism and put social value first over your twerking on TikTok. They're getting really tired of your twerking is the essence of this article. And this is not a joke. You you, you think I'm joking. I'm not joking. They're tired. They don't want you twerking no more. And in fact, People are being punished, as you're going to hear in this article from a Chinese publication, mainland China. People are being punished for essentially twerking to oversimplify it. Bear with me. I know it sounds like I'm joking. I'm not. China's top state propaganda organs, which decide what people can read and watch in the country, 
have jointly urged better, quote unquote, culture and art uh, in China, partly by limiting the role of algorithms, meaning TikTok and these apps, in content distribution. A policy move that could translate into higher compliance costs for online content providers such as TikTok and Tencent, which is WeChat and TikTok, the two biggest apps in China. And they're worried that people are spending all of their time twerking on TikTok instead of, you know, reading books. This is honest to God what this comes down to. The policy guidelines from the Central Propagation, Central Propaganda Department of the Communist Party, the Ministry of Culture and Tourism, and the State Administration of Radio and Television, as well as the China Federation of Literacy and Art and China Writers Association, the two state-backed bodies of state-approved artists and authors, mark the latest effort by Beijing to align online content with the state's agenda. They want to align online content, meaning what happens on TikTok and WhatsApp, with the state's agenda. They want TikTok to do what the state, the state's agenda for content. And the state's agenda for content is not fucking twerking on TikTok. You get it? Uncle G doesn't want to see you twerking on TikTok no more. He wants to see you reading Karl Marx's books. Honest to God, they actually say that. I'm yeah, going to read the quote. I'm going to bear with me. There's yeah. a quote that actually says what they would prefer you do instead of twerking on TikTok, which is <laughs> reading Karl Marx's books. Hey, it's an actual you know, quote. Hold on. Let me, let me get to it. It says, the guidelines come at a time when technology and algorithms are increasingly important factors in deciding what Chinese people view and enjoy online. Yeah, they're, they're reading TikTok. They're not reading Karl Marx's, you know, a communist manifesto and uncle G's not so happy about that. So they've got a plan to fix that with tech giants like ByteDance, which is TikTok, applying sophisticated algorithms to recommend content to hundreds of millions of users. The Beijing based operator of global short video sharing app, TikTok has managed to accumulate over 600 million daily active users uh, in just a decade from humble beginnings, feeding short video clips to viewers according to their preferences and user data. The power of technology in guiding people's attention, however, is not necessarily a good thing for the Chinese state content creators and propagandists as their work can easily lose relevance in cyberspace. Right. People aren't reading Marx's Communist Manifesto on TikTok. They're twerking on TikTok. The but hottest, Tyler, like, hold on, Cayman, let me yep. get to the actual punchline here. The hottest items on Chinese social media platforms, for example, are often about the personal affairs and scandals involving Chinese movie stars instead of culture and art reviews, works that are authority, the authorities would prefer to promote to, bo to boost loyalty and state recognition among the public. So how can you be stay loyal to the state when you're, twerking on TikTok and you're not reading Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto. I swear to God the quote is coming that says precisely this. According to a summary by the state news agency Xinhua, which is the state actual CCP's formal mouthpiece in mainland China. It's this is called They call themselves a newspaper. It's actually Uncle Xi's blog to the okay. people in China called Xinhua. Yeah, Digital Cultural Revolution. Right. The new policy guidelines are aimed at correcting these issues. Under the guidelines, all Chinese content creators and distributors, meaning the apps and the users of those apps, are told to adhere to the correct direction, strengthen Marxist literacy theory and criticisms, and pay attention to the social effects of such literary criticism. 
and not contribute to the spread of low, vulgar, and pandering content or quasi-entertainment content such as twerking. They want you to read the Communist Manifesto and stay loyal to the state and stop your goddamn twerking on TikTok. And they're, and they're going to punish you. And in fact, they have punished people for twerking. Watch, the quote is coming. Stay with me. The policy document, the full text of which has not been published yet, also stresses that China will improve the standards of literacy and art criticism and put social value first. We cannot become slaves of online traffic or let commercial standards trump artistic ones. Xinhua added to its summary. The state propaganda agencies ple- pledged to have deeper involvement with new media platforms to launch more micro-reviews, short reviews, snap reviews of all media reviews as a way to increase their interaction with the audiences. China will strengthen research and guidance on cybersecurity algorithms. <clears throat> so now the state wants in on the algorithm to control the algorithm so that they can influence what the people see and limit the twerking. And not provide channels for disinformation of erroneous content, a.k.a. twerking. While it remains to be seen how the details of the new guidelines will affect the operations of online content providers, the announcement sends a clear message that stricter controls are on the way. In ByteDance was ordered to close its popular app called Nihon Duanji, which united strangers around funny memes after it was criticized for hosting vulgar content, a.k.a. twerking. Following the closure of the app, which had 200 million users, ByteDance founder Zhuang Yiming made a public apology and hired thousands of content reviewers to filter out unhealthy content. Beijing showed its disdain for aberrant online communities this week after the Cyber Administration of China, the Internet Watchdog, cleaned up 150,000 instances of harmful content, a.k.a. twerking, and punished more than than 4,000 accounts related to fan clubs, online communities formed around celebrities, according to separate report on Tuesday by Jinhua. They've punished 4,000 accounts for twerking. They will, the Uncle G wants you to focus on Marxist literary criticism and stop all this vulgar activity, aka twerking. I'm with I'm with the communist Chinese on this, man. <laughs> yep, <laughs> tiger parents, man. I mean, like you know, like uh, Americans, it's like, well, you know, you can twerk for another five minutes. And, like, Chinese, Chinese parents are literally just grabbing the kids and yanking them out of the restaurant <laughs> i'm for it i'm with the Ch- communist chinese on this i'm not ashamed to say it but the question is is like why do they recommend karl marx's book when there's even a better book that mark zuckerberg said i bought copies of this book for my colleagues as well i want them to understand socialism with chinese characteristics and he's referring to the xi jinping's governance of china volume one it's actually on amazon well that's when he was trying believe- so desperately to get into oh. china and he was trying to show Xi that he's on Xi's side. And I'm recommending yeah. your book to everybody, Xi. Come on, let me get that. Let me get in on that sweet, sweet Xi unit. That B billion dollar market of you know, the billion user what if market. You, what if you twerk while listening to Karl Marx? There you go. Now, there's a compromise. You know, now, Charles, would I'm you like to? Hey, Charles, there. would you like to star with me in that TikTok video? We could do that together. I'm okay. That's a, that's a new okay. ed tech right there. Charles, new ed tech. Yeah, I'm. I'm okay. I'm I'm anti-twerking. I want to be strongly on the side of cultural standards and uh, the CCP. Go from a physical physical health standpoint. It's actually pretty good. 
actually it moves all the muscles burns calories out, hamstrings yeah it totally does and it's a part of the tech news around the world 30 minute program we could do it twerk, Sorry, twerk, that, twerk the, the twerk the weight <laughs> off yes i'll design it soon okay my goodness um what do we got um uk emojipedia xiaomi becomes europe's top smartphone vendor in q2 with 12.7 million smartphones shipped up 67 percent year over year xiaomi's booming followed by samsung with 12 million down seven percent and apple with 9.6 million and xiaomi will very soon become the world's biggest smartphone manufacturer that's the easiest prediction because if you go and do a, a sincere shopping comparison it's not a comparison xiaomi is just i can't believe how much you get for how little Price. So, um, Tyler, source... question on, on yeah. the phone stuff. Um, haven't heard much on the semiconductor and the chip shortage and TSMC. That sort of bit it seems to have gone really quiet. Have you heard much? We had we had headlines last week. Nothing this week. Okay. Yeah. Uh, TSMC's uh, did a deal with Japan. Simultaneously, Japan starts recognizing Taiwan. What an interesting coincidence. <laughs> Maybe that was a line item in the term sheet. Um, so, 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 so Tyler, there is yeah. a, there is an article, this is Vinay, there is an article on the semiconductor shortage. Uh -huh. I will tweet that out. Uh -huh. uh, TSMC and a couple of other companies have said the shortage will continue till about 2023, 2024, till a few new plants go online, uh -huh. but it's going to continue for a few more years. Yeah. David, do you, can you make a comment about the, the, the state? mouthpieces uh, um, with all of this news that they're going to crack down on vulgar activities and that these algorithms are um, um, distributing and making sure people are uh, paying attention to good art and good cultural content or there was, yeah, go ahead, David. I think, I think the, the, uh, the, the, the state, sensors are sort of uh, uh, at an all-time strict right now, right? So the, the biggest news possibly in China uh, in the past two weeks has been the arrest of one of these uh, major pop icons. Yeah. Was she twerking? Uh, uh, oh, oh, him, Chris actually. Wool. Chris Wool, the Canadian, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, he's, yeah, yeah. he's Canadian-Chinese. Um, he's been arrested uh, based on allegations of uh, inappropriate sexual conduct. A.K.A. twerking. <laughs> uh, well, so allegedly what they've pinched him for is um, statutory rape, um, which, you know. <sighs> um, In anyway, a TikTok that's... video? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, so so it's it's been quite the news, um, and and now that the truth has come out, it's totally stupid, right? So the girl who's uh, who's who's sort of um, the center of of this whole whole scandal, um, she was approached. So she 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 sent out her story on a Weibo, and then the which screenwriter, is the, the, which is the Twitter of China. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So this sort of hack of an unsuccessful screenwriter, um, you know, picked up on the news. And then he's like, oh, well, I could help you get 
garner a lot more attention. So he started writing these very sensationalist pieces on her behalf. And then instantly there's, you know, millions of retweets. And as a result, the, uh, the pop icons team reached out to her to try to like quiet her down and pay her off. Um, and then there's a scammer that got in between the two of them. Um, so the scammer was actually playing both sides. So at no point did this girl, nor the pop icon and his team, have any direct contact with each other. And then when the police finally came out the story, um, the funniest thing was the pop icon's mom was the one who actually single-handedly uh, sent her son to, to jail because she got so frustrated with the sort of changing prices, who she thought was the girl, but it was in fact the scammer in the middle. Um, and then she ultimately uh, reported on this, uh, went to the police with all of this. And then in two weeks' time, the police re- arrested her son. Um, but I mean, it just goes on to show sort of um, the, the tightening sort of uh, social norms in China right now. And then with the latest news coming out, I think um, a couple of days ago on the Chinese government asking Tencent to comply with act, uh, with, with further limitations on uh, gaming hours and the content oh, that can be viewed by me, children. That, let me ask you that, because what the big headline about 12 hours ago was that um, a state newspaper came out with the uh, very strongly worded phrase of that video of and they retracted yes well let, yeah the, but the phrase was uh that video games are an opium, opiate opiate for the masses yeah. essentially yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. that um the they then retracted that but that caused a sell-off of tencent because tencent is a gaming you know godzilla and probably the biggest gaming company in the world in terms of uh, investment in in video game studios around the world. So, um, and then it was retracted. But this, but that spe- does that not also help? Uh, is another data point in the continuing birth rate declining narrative, which is they want to crack down on uh, because the, by the way, in that article, the the quote from the state was. Um, that these video games are causing isolation, and so yeah. that, that, that the why they're cracking why they're cracking down on the games, according to their own words, is because it uh, is causing isolation, which means which is hard to have more kids when you're isolated. Which means right, which means fertile fertile young couples aren't right. playing with each other, but they're playing with computers. Well, they might have well have said that, and that's why I said. The, this comment fits with the other biggest mega narrative and it helps add credence to what we already know to be true, which is what's driving a lot of these, you know, uh, moves lately is uh, an, a very sincere effort to try and correct the declining birth rate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as much as we call it a day. But by the as way, David, we... could, I'm, I'm making the prediction. Tell me if you agree that we could see uh, promotion of. Uh, dating apps in in China in the near future. <laughs> um, I mean, there's really no shortage of dating apps already, but um, I think I think there's going to be a bigger promotion on more of a offline to online component of dating service than just um, sort of 
Tinder-like dating apps. Well, how about this? Right, because... If you want to open the game, you have to sw- you have to book a date with somebody before you can start the game. <laughs> well, funny, funny you might. It's funny you mentioned that. So, um, one of the largest gaming teams in China, um, who's which is owned by Wang Sitong. So he's the son of Wang Jianling, the founder of Wanda. Um, Wanda Group. Yeah. So he actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he actually has an app in China called Bixing, which is, um, I mean, it's it's so sort of gray on the legal boundary. It's you can go on the app and then order a girl to either in real life or online play games with you, um, like computer games. That is right. Um, sure, then, sure. That, that, yeah, I'm uh, sure that would work really well in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Japan. Sure. <laughs> it's it starts at a hundred RMB an hour, which is like twelve and a half dollars an hour. Um, yeah, I mean that's the creator totally economy. Gray. Yeah, yeah, but, but that's very morally gray, right? Because you're basically hiring a girl to come to your house. Yeah, well, you're cre- in this case, you're creating future children as a creator economy. <laughs> but, but, so, so that's, but, but, then, but then that's the first. other problem, right? Which is something I think people in the West will have a hard time understanding, which is in China, when you have children born out of wedlock, um, it's actually almost impossible for them to receive any social benefits and get into proper schools. Um, And that's why in countries like Australia and the US, there are cities that we, as I guess Chinese know well, are sort of what we call uh, mistressvilles, um, where wealthy men send their mistresses and the bastard children there to, oh, to, to, to be brought up. Yeah, to be astronaut, brought up. Because... A- astronaut families. I used to live in one such place in Arcadia, California. That's right. That's right. But the, the reason is because they actually can't get their children into schools in China, um, legally, that is. So um, I think unless there's a major correction from the current system, which allows for... Um, sort of illegitimate children to be uh, receiver of social benefits and get enrolled into schools and all of that, um, it'll be hard to boost the population without without having, you know, proper man-wife families. Okay. So, the, Japan, by the way, I've got a, I've got a perfect uh, article here from Heyman. Um, uh, the headline is, Five Unknown Benefits of Twerking. Twerking involves squatting down low and popping your butt back and forward in a strategic hypnotic motion. Twerking strengthens muscles in just about every part of your body. Not only do you sculpt, tone, and grow your butt, your thighs uh, become super strong. Your hip flexibility increases and, more than anything, boosts your confidence. You can burn up to 500 calories in 60 minutes of twerk. Uh, Basically, you'll sculpt and tone. And now here are the five benefits of twerking it tones your legs and butts when you twerk you're holding a squat that doesn't from... work on men right <laughs> well, it, well why not uh, confidence is contagious not only will twerking increase your confidence with your partner but it could also spread into other aspects of your life also when you twerk it improves your body structure this can boost your self-confidence and make your body curves more obvious also when ladies twerk for their partners it serves as a means of bonding and increases your confidence level with them. Stress reliever is uh, benefit number three. 
just like dance, twerking can relieve you of stress. So when twerking, you tend to have fun at it and it helps forget situations as stressing you out. Also, it improves balance, flexibility, and coordination. And this is the one that our friend Uncle G might want to pay attention to. It boosts your sex life. Twerking can serve as a foreplay, which improves the sex life between couples. Twerking for your partner is equally arousing for the giver of it for the receiver. According to research, couples experience the same feelings during a private twerking show. And then mental development. According to research, twerking is also a workout for the brain and has even been shown to reduce the amount of dementia. According to Richard Powers, a dance professor at Stanford University, it requires more brain power than other stricter forms of dance because you are forced to make rapid decisions about how you'll move so you can give twerking a thought because of its advantages and so i would i would encourage and might we might we not now if we could get this to mr uh, xi jinping and if he understood so the actual benefits I, and the wait a second the sexual boost of people's sex lives this could actually unlock the actual secret to reviving china's declining birth rate is and we might actually see it state mandated that people start twerking so i i'm happy to to um, a very good friend of mine um, has started and is ready to launch, if those of you aren't aware, um, a company called Twerk Fit. It's literally what? going to explode very, very soon. Wow. It's like the newest rage. And she's well, on who, Clubhouse. Who I talk who, to her regularly. Who explodes? The person twerking? <laughs> no, oh, no. The, the fad. It's it's the I latest see. dance craze in Britain at the moment, and I think Dubai. And so it's, it's like CrossFit for twerking, twerk fit. Yeah. And do twerk they fit. they time you like in CrossFit, and you compete with the other people? I myself do haven't done it phone? yet, but you know, it's like pole dancing for phone? like you know yeah. exercise. Yep. Do you place the phone in the back pocket, or do you put it in? I don't know. Like, where do you? But you know, it's it? really like, interesting. Because yeah. it ties back to an article from maybe a few weeks ago where some of these African-American black um, TikTokers stopped dancing, stopped yep. twerking, if you will, because yep. it was something that grew within a certain subculture and other people have kind of mainstreamed it. And, and Great so question. I know is twerking Megan cultural Stallion, appropriation? She would release a song and then you have these black TikTokers that would make dances and then they would go viral. But then the people that. Lakeisha, your, your mic cut out. Night shows, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So, so it's really interesting to see how culture um, is kind of transnational, if you will, transcultural and how it permeates in many different ways. Hi. But it, it, hold, one second, May. Is is twerking cultural appropriation? Well, I'm in Hong Kong. I never seen Asian lady do it, so I'm not sure about that. Okay. Well, Luis is raising his hand. Go ahead, May. I was just going to share that, like, I mean, from what I got, don't hate aging myself, but from what I remember of twerking, and it's sort of coined when it got popular. It came from the early '90s bounce scene in New Orleans. New Orleans. And, yeah, and it's really interesting because that that twerking is very interesting as well because it was this it's this crazy mix of like you know the the rap and the the crazy chants from Mardi Gras right you know and that sort of whole ah. rhythmic drumming and gospel like call you know what I'm saying so there's a sure. lot of evolution to it but it's an interesting statement and Lewis um, might even be able to add more I think if it's Lewis Flores I, I just wanted I just wanted to ask hey Lewis I don't know but I just wanted to ask 
is it possible there's like a similar relation to when Elvis Presley started the gyrating hips? Is there any similarities? Yeah. To that? Oh, that could be interesting too. Yeah. I think I we need think to there's a ban TikTok just to be safe. But be Tyler, safe. I, yeah. The, the point of the point of race and ethnicity, the race and ethnicity question, and the cultural appropriation. You know, there. You know, in some ways, it does become something because you now see people learning these dances that quite frankly I've been doing like in clubs in New York City in the 90s you know like we've always kind of moved our bodies in a way that just is natural for African American or Latin American women they just have this sort of vibe where they could pull it off without having to take a moment you know someone's twerking that was Tony twerking I want want to get Tony's take because (laughs) I imagine that the actual movement, if we trace what well, you're saying, it came from New Orleans, but I think it's it, African. I think it's African. I think, African African. I think Lake- absolutely, absolutely African. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. But also, if you understand the history of the Puerto Rican and the Cuban culture, the Caribbean is very much a mix of African True. and Afro Caribbean. I could so, see that in Cuba all day long, yeah, but, my, also, but you see it in Puerto Rico, you see it in Dominican Republic, you right. see it in Saint Martin. You do find right. it in mo- many of the Caribbean islands as well. It's like, yeah, it's the uh, isn't it like the dirty South? They call it. Isn't that where it started? But if yeah, I believe so. If, if all these people like the were dirty... reading Karl Marx, they'd be much better off. They should if, not be if, twerking. They should be following. The, those those are not <laughs> mutu- those are not mutually exclusive. Uh, I like the exercise Charles. component for. Yeah. Exactly. There's a way for the Chinese to gamify this. What they need to do is you use your Huawei phone with eye tracking. They make sure that you read enough Karl Marx to uh, to get your credits up, and then you're allowed five minutes of twerking on social media there for every go. hour of Karl Marx. You there it is. Simple. This can be the pivot for the EdTech moms in China. But that's that. Is that before or after you have your three or four mandatory vaccines, or is that just the U.S. version? Okay. By the way, on Thursday, Francine Hardaway is going to have a show on uh, some of these problems. And I think a lot of African-Americans have felt that even Clubhouse has appropriated some of their rooms. And so that's going to be some of the discussion that's going to happen on Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Okay. What room was that, Heyman? Uh, it's Francine Hardaway's Karma Club. Sorry. Twerk it. I'm, I'm just getting out oh, there. That's the song I wanted. Here we go. So we got we got our own song coming up later just to play put out. on some cardi b and you'd be fine i got it if you start popping i just cardi found b. it so the the next big headline is um well we we just ran through the the boring headlines and now we're going to get into the fun ones in no particular order the first one is right here that they're calling it a spotify rival called angami i've never heard of angami uh, but Angami to launch entertainment venues in Dubai, London, and LA. The first Angami Lab venue will open in Dubai in early 2022. And I'm just wondering, it's kind of interesting. This goes, this is related to the mega trend of cloud based companies putting bricks and mortar on the ground. An increasing crowd, crowded and competitive music streaming market. Some say that most services are essentially the same in terms of what they actually offer. Prominent Middle East and North African-focused music streaming company Angami just made a gigantic move to differentiate itself ahead of listing on the NASDAQ with a SPAC. Um, Angami has announced plans to roll out a new hybrid entertainment venue called Angami Lab in multiple cities worldwide. The first venue will open in Dubai, followed by launches in Riyadh. Wow. 
Jeddah, yeah, Cairo, so, Beirut, and so, other global cities such as uh, London, so, New York, LA. So Tyler, Angami has been around for a while, and okay. they are an Arabic version of Spotify and very, okay. very big in the Middle East. They've got funding of a couple of hundred million dollars or so. To launch the new concept, Angami has partnered with hospitality group called AdMind. Angami says the lab concept will be the first to combine both online and offline worlds, bridging digital and traditional entertainment. According to Angami, the venue will feature a lounge stage studio where artists can experiment by co-creating music inspired by both Arabic and international cultures to be performed in the venue. The resulting music will be made available exclusively on Angami, and the company says it will says that its app will also provide unique features complementing both experiences. In addition, the cuisine served at Angami Lab, according to the company, will be a fusion of Arabic and international recipes embodying the essence of Angami and providing an international taste with Arabic flavor. Just interesting concept of, uh, of cloud companies um, putting bricks and mortars on the ground. So sharing it for that reason. Next one. Yeah, they, they have yeah. about, uh, so Tyler, they have about 70 to 80 million users, uh, North Africa, all across the Middle East. So very, very popular app. Okay. Um, from Evan, this one from via Reuters, orally administered single pill given for seven to 10 days. Top U.S. infectious disease expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci said that he hoping he's hoping for a treatment to knock out COVID-19 in patients in its early stages. A Fauci floats pill to knock out COVID-19 early. And the UAE uh, closes financing for a 145-megawatt floating uh, photovoltaic uh, project in Indonesia. Construction of Indonesia's first utility-scale floating solar power plant. There you go. That's how you do it. Creating citywide 3D meshes with drones. This is so cool. It's called, it's called let me tweet this out for your convenience so you can see this. It's a, it's a specialized drone to make a 3D model of a city incredibly accurately. Uh, like super hyper because basically Apple Maps and Google Maps are using satellites, which are, Charles can give us the, the I don't know, 100 kilometers up in uh, low earth orbit however why not use drones with lidars on them and get insanely photorealistic uh 3d navigatable spaces in virtual reality it's called site scan for arcgis powered by sure for arcgis a gis is a, a geo information systems or something like that whatever um the global information system it's basically yeah. like gps but it's the map part of gps yeah a meshing engine is a powerful cloud-based tool for quickly generating accurate citywide photorealistic 3D meshes. Site scan ingests imagery taken by drones and uses a photo photo photogrammetric process yeah, to yeah photogrammetric process to turn those images into 2D and 3D data products. Which, by the way, when we want to, in the future, teleport to any city on the planet through VR, this is likely going to be the source of that content. And so now they're mapping Zurich, Switzerland, for example, and you can see a really nice photo of Zurich with this drone flying over it from the Twitter, the tweet I just twatted on Twitter at TNATW. And brilliant concept. Um, yeah, why not? And they, if you scroll down in the article I just tweeted, you'll see how they 
overlay all of the different captured um, scans, 3D uh, scans of the city. The conclusion is mapping an entire city at the resolution Zurich was mapped was a daunting task in the not too distant past. Um, technological advancements in drone technology with the latest generation of the Wing 1 VTOL, VTOL combined with image processing in the cloud with site scan for ArcGIS makes a project like this a single and simple workflow capture process, blah, blah, blah. It's a kind of a, all of a big ad, but it's, uh, wow, fantastic. The, we'll be able to visit three, you know, Google and Apple Maps will become insanely more accurate uh, in the near future. They're already doing this using aircraft or helicopters. So the, the evolution of doing it with drones that can be lower and safer and cheaper is just a cool, cool addition. Yeah. Okay. So thank you for that. But what about uh, this noise, though? Have they made quieter drones yet? Yeah. At, at the at the height that they would fly these things, it wouldn't be that annoying. Uh, okay. Biofuel from Kemp could provide cheaper, greener energy source. Indeed, a lot of people are doing really interesting things with kelp in this article that I just tweeted. It highlights one of those. Kelp is a plentiful in remote coastal Alaska. Fuel is not, and it's expensive. Many isolated communities rely on diesel generators for energy because they are not connected to pipelines or the electrical grid. But diesel is expensive since it must be barged or flown in. In search for a cheaper sustainable fuel, researchers at the Pacific Northwest National Laboratory, PNNL, turned to a plentiful marine resource in Alaska kelp and fish processing waste. They found that by using existing fish processing plants, Alaska kelp harvest uh, and fish waste could be transformed into diesel-like fuel that can that is carbon neutral. The waste to energy fuel could then be used to power generators or fishing boats. The team's research, sponsored by the U.S. Department of Energy's Office of Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy, was highlighted in a recent report. Diesel is expensive up there, especially in the winter. That's what they use to keep Peters going, says Michael Rinker, the PNNL program manager. We wanted to see if we could turn existing waste into fuel in a way that makes financial sense to small remote disadvantaged areas in Alaska. Burning, not, yeah, kind of converting kelp into a fuel. So because the other Chris is gone, I'll step in here. Um, <laughs> I have a little bit of uh, knowledge in this because I, I spent a lot of time in this space. Um, but if you were to supplant... Um, all of the world's fossil fuels with some kind of um, green fuel, uh, like, for example, um, grains or, I'm sorry, corn, uh, they say it would take up the landmass of uh, sub-Saharan Africa. Um, or, or uh, But if you were to use need the energy from something like a, an algae, they're saying it's a small county in, La in California. So enough to power the whole world. Uh, with that. So whenever they make the breakthrough, Tyler, and especially with the RNA stuff you were talking about yesterday, I think we might have some of the solutions to solving the problem. And what's beautiful about kelp is that, you know, it just processes CO2 so well. It's the original um, oxygenator of the planet, you know, these single celled algae. So really, really exciting that someone's doing this stuff. I've heard a pitch recently of these massive kelp farms that they then kind of uh, net together and it sinks to the bottom of the ocean where it deteriorates and go, you know, it creates a biofeedback system. But, you you know, it's nobody owns the oceans. Right. So you don't have to get permission or anything. You just grow these insane kelp farms 
when then you force them to think to the bottom of the ocean, no one gives a shit about that. It'll it'll deteriorate and just keep that cycling going. So they're trying to encourage more kelp growth, just like, you know, the, it's like doing bamboo on land. You would do kelp in the ocean, essentially. The, the Japanese love kelp. They use it for their soup stock. Combo. Yeah, that's that. That's the other thing. And Eli's not here, but he's kind of working on something like that. Yeah, where he's, he's trying to basically grow. And I, I like talking to him because the stuff we're doing with fluidics works really well. We're we're really good at making really tiny bubbles. And um, what he's trying to do is essentially grow um, food in the ocean to capture the carbon and then feed the world. So he's yeah, selected no, like species. It's very yeah. nutritious. It's in it's in Japanese everyday diet. Yeah, I mean it's the core it's the core food that feeds the planet, right? Like everything we yeah. eat really comes from the sun ultimately. And it doesn't take out extra space just under the ocean, right? Yeah. Okay. So the next big article is that was the kelp one. Home Depot plans to foil shoplifters with power tools that won't work if they're stolen. We certainly don't want to affect the 99.5% of our customers who are just there to pick up their hammers and nails. How is this going to work? Uh, to combat thieves, Home Depot is introducing power tools that won't work if they're stolen. Home Depot executive Scott Glenn spoke to spoke about the company's efforts to stymie shoplifters. He said the goal is to stop thieves without looking like an armed encampment. But how are they doing it? Um... There are Was very that a chip blow up or something. The trade publication defined organized retail grant, organized retail grant, the e-commerce changing the game. Years ago, eBay plastic case. We certainly don't want to. The new point of sale activation feature will allow the company to combat theft without significantly altering the shopping experience. After getting its suppliers, vendors, partners, and internal IT team on board, Home Depot tested the feature at a handful of stores. It will now roll out to a broader assortment. With the goal of scaling out to its 2,000 stores, it's going to have the potential rise. While it doesn't say how they do it, but it has. It's probably it's probably related to sensormatic. You know those things that have the uh, normally beep when ink you dies. don't pull them off. Yeah, or even um, ink dies. Right. These these would these would activate the product when you um, scan them. And um, I have a God. I I feel so like it's such a know it all. But I I did a ton of retail arbitrage in my past life. Um, and Home Depot was a big uh, supplier of mine, so to speak. And I'd go to stores where the computer would say, oh, there's 12 of these uh, Dyson vacuum cleaners in Compton. And I'd show up and they'd be like, yeah, you know, someone just grabbed a shopping cart and ran out the door with those Dysons last wow. week. So that's why like this happens rampantly. And they have thousands of stores across America where people come in and grab the Milwaukee tools and just run out the door. So that's why it's literally rampant at Home Depot. And then the worst part is they come back and they return the merchandise for cash. Oh, because they have a no questions return policy, yeah? Exactly. Ouch. So they get uh, gift cards and they give Oh, uh, Home Depot sells Christmas trees. And I have a friend who was a manager there. So he says every January, mid-January, you get these people bringing in their dead Christmas trees <laughs> on January 15th trying to return them. Worse than the Costco return policies. So, get, like anything, people have watermelons that are half eaten and return it. It's crazy. <laughs> SoftBank. Well, I love Christmas trees, though. Used Christmas trees in January. This thing's broken. 
want my money back. Um, SoftBank builds a $5 billion stake in Roche, the pharma giant. This is kind of wild. Um, SoftBank is a huge investor in tech. Uh, I w- I'm not aware of their any previous, although I imagine they have some, but this is this is a pharmaceutical company of Roche, one of the biggest in the world. So SoftBank uh, has quietly built a $5 billion stake in Roche, placing a bet on the pharmaceutical company's strategy of using data. Oh, that's why. There's data to be had in, in this company, and that's why they're investing. SoftBank believes Roche's Genentech division is undervalued. That's the Oh, now we just figured it out, did we not, Charles? It's Genentech is their DNA company and the DNA's data. And now you know why SoftBank's investing five bill into Roche, which owns Genentech, and Genentech is DNA data. And that DNA data, did you hear that? Did somebody hear something? You guys hear something? I thought I heard something. I thought I heard like a, like a little cash register. Just, uh... Did you hear an angel got a wing? That's yep, yep. That, that's the sound of data. Tyler, you, right you, yeah. you, you literally, so... you, you know, you're unlocking a thesis that I don't think many have really gone into. You know, like these uh, biotech powerhouses with their DNA processing, you know, skill sets are actually big data farms now. So you, again. <laughs> Yep. So, so Tyler, yes. Tyler, um, SoftBank has been buying into pharmaceutical industry since 2017. Okay. They bought, they spent a billion into a company called uh, Royvant, and then in uh, 2021, they invested 525 million in uh, a UK pharma company as well. So they've been doing pharma for a few years now. Okay. Um, Roche, uh, Roche last year hired someone named Aviv Ragiv, a computational and systems biologist who was a core member of the Harvard University-affiliated Broad Institute to lead the Genentech Research Unit. Roche is developing a new pill for COVID-19. There we go. We just talked about that with Fauci. And an Alzheimer's disease treatment in June, it approved uh, Biogen's Alzheimer drug, blah, SoftBank has increasingly focused on biotech and healthcare. It invested in Pacific Biosciences of California, Abcellera Biologics, and Sana Biology Biotechnology. In February, Bloomberg News reported that SoftBank was planning to spend billions investing in public biotech companies. Health tech, baby. Moss is no idiot, man. He He's always uh, one step ahead. So, um, Program training on it. There we go. Highly there. Okay, very interesting. Indeed, the whole DNA data thing is going to get really wild really quickly. And Charles, do you want to make a comment about DNA data? Did he jump out? He he did mention his startup, which he is called. Um, when he was here, he was, he made a comment about forty minutes ago about his. Uh, I forget the name of his DNA startup. Traitwell. Traitwell. Yes. Traitwell. They're building uh, similar to Clearview, which made the, the you know this yeah, massive Frank database for, for facial recognition. It's a massive database for DNA, similar to what uh, other countries are doing as well. Apple and a firm joined to the buy now, pay later for Canada. So a firm stock jumped, I don't know, ten percent or whatever on that news. They're kind of like the Klarna of America, although Klarna is in America now. Anyway. Facebook disables accounts tied to NYU researchers. We covered that one. Thank you, Faraz. Google approves most staff requests to relocate or work remotely. Well, looks like the employees have won. 
for the time being. Alphabet's Google approved 85% of employee requests to work remotely or relocate once its office is fully reopened because there was a bit of a battle going on there. And now they're letting them do it. And you win in the short term until you realize you're now competing with people in Vietnam and Romania who are willing to work for a tenth of your salary. Well done. You played yourself. And you'll find out about a year from now when they're now offering you uh, competitive salaries because you're living in a place that's a quarter of the cost. And they're now going to offer you salaries for other. You've opened yourself up to compete with the global market of talent. Uber, Lyft, and others push gig work measure in Massachusetts. And so the it says a coalition of gig economy companies like Uber, Uber and Lyft and uh, is opening up a new front in the global struggle over the legality of their business model. And um, a campaign backed by companies including Uber, DoorDash, Lyft, and Instacart is seeking to place a measure on next year's Massachusetts ballot defining their workers as independent contractors, not regular employees. Under the proposal, which the company backed Massachusetts Coalition for Independent Work plans to file Wednesday, ride, hail, and delivery app drivers would be promised perks such as healthcare stipends, but their employment status as contractors would be enshrined in state law, which would kind of nullify uh, unification efforts, uh, unionization efforts. Drivers would be guaranteed minimum pay for their time while assigned a task but not for their waiting time in between. Makes sense. There you go. Compromise. By the way, Tyler. Yeah. To the uh, Roche story, uh, there is also a development in Roche. Uh, they announced that they're getting fast FDA review for Tencentric. is an adjuvant lung cancer drug that was just uh, published today, the article. Um, and it says that Roche is preparing for a December verdict form for the FDA on adjuvant use of its PDL1 inhibitor Tencentric. It's an adjuvant treatment for some patients with non-small cell lung cancer. And the benefit for them is that it's a $1 billion opportunity for Roche Pharmaceutical Drug. And also it won't be competing. It's a market free of competition from Merck's other dominant drugs. So they're going to be into entering a market that's not dominated by anyone. You know what else I just realized, though, is on this Roche SoftBank thing is because of AlphaFold, um, mm-hmm. drug you know, creation is going to explode. Absolutely. Oh yeah, drug drug discovery platforms yeah. are really going to be key to the next, you know, 20 years. I mean, you know, traditionally these are like scientists, rows and rows of scientists running, you know, one two experiments per day. And now you're talking about AI just doing thousands. That's the deal, right? So the drug it's definitely the drug discovery is the biggest thing that they went after. And they're also doing something about the COVID-19 kits, apparently. So that's another reason why SoftBank may be eyeing all this. And so... The, Charles is here. Yeah, Charles, uh, we were just talking about how SoftBank just uh, has now put $5 billion into Roche. And clearly it's got something to do with uh, Genentech, which they own, and Data. And possibly also AlphaFold and how these... Uh, drug companies are going to be able to um, take advantage of that in the near term and, you know, get all the patents, you know, related to um, lock up, you know, and start making drugs for pretty much everything. So it's, you no, know, it's not, maybe it's not a surprise. It'll be just SoftBank doing its money laundering thing, mm-hmm. you know, something else to consider. I mean, okay. I, I will be very shocked if a year passes of, 
there not being a serious, you know, federal investigation announced into SoftBank. Just something to think about. So the real winner of the Olympics, the Olympics are not yet over, but there's already an official winner. And this gives us an opportunity to play our favorite game, Tech News Jeopardy. Who is really winning the Olympics? There's actually a correct answer. U.S. COVID. TikTok. Aaron wins it. Aaron joins the winner's circle. Well done, Aaron. The score is now tied at 1111111 with Charles and Aaron and Cal and whoever else has had a correct answer as uh, TikTok is Me. the Yeah, Messi <laughs> did win one as well. Good job, Messi. So it's um, TikTok becomes the unofficial behind the scenes of Olympic channel as all the athletes are using TikTok and the viewership surpassing the official. NBC, who paid, you know, billions to be the official partner, but TikTok didn't have to pay anything. And they got the athletes using their app as the camera of the content that everyone's consuming in far more quantities than even NBC. So TikTok's the real winner of the Olympics. Well done, TikTok. Um, Next headline, how construction tech could be the last of the great disruptors, founder of UAE-based Procurified told Arabian business, the region's construction sector is currently being ignored by VCs, which I can confirm as well. One of the companies I advise called Base2 is a prop tech company, and we go on and on about this endlessly. The VCs have yet figured out how to get their head around prop tech. And uh, all of the prop tech companies are scratching their heads why they're all being ignored and why their pitches are being ignored and why the, the investors don't seem to yet have a, their hand on it. We work. One word. That's part of it. And by the way, Tyler, uh, in relation to the Olympics and NBC, because U.S. was defeated in the soccer women's soccer match, sorry, by Canada, um, and Sweden and Canada are facing off this coming Thursday, uh, um, basically uh, Canada and Sweden have requested to move the start time of the Olympic soccer final. Because as you know, that most of these times are determined by the, the biggest uh, funder of all those um, media permits, right? So it's NB, NBC. So now that the U.S. is not going to be the top pick, uh, the Canadian and Swedish teams have asked for a better time. Okay. So next big headline is, um, oh, I just killed it. Where'd it go? There you go. Uh, heat wave, wildfires, and drought are alerting life across much of the, or altering life across much of the Western U.S. like a scary movie. Washington Post. The headline reads, like a scary movie. Heat wave hits Pacific Northwest again as residents fear this is the new normal, which it is for the next hundred years. Only for the next hundred years. It's not, you know, not forever. But just just until uh, it becomes uninhabitable. Why is Twitter getting rid of fleets? The company, uh, this is HITC, wants to know. The company removes a fleets, uh, which is their ephemeral content, the 24-hour little Snapchat clone at the top of Twitter. It will be retired uh, today. They remove it today. It's gone. And it's because I can answer this question because I was in a Twitter Spaces room with the team responsible for that, where they said it's because they're going to uh, use that very valuable real estate for their hallway version of their carbon copy clone of Clubhouse, which they call Twitter Spaces. And so they're going to use, reallocate that space for uh, their other new ambitious project, which is Twitter Spaces. So now you know. 
that their version of the hallway is coming. I so, wonder if people who are banned for life from Twitter can actually use the, the new version, the new technology, or if that or, or how that works. Kind of be curious to see. Like, could Trump start it up or could, you know, how would that work? I, I would love to see him do a fake account with a big must, handlebar mustache and uh, get on Twitter spaces. That would be a- absolutely hysterical. I'm trying to speak with, with an accent. Um, human rights activist uh, and close ally of detained Dubai princess had her phone hacked. Uh, by NSO spyware forensic test finds, according to the Washington Post. So it's plausible. Um, a new- yeah, it's my friend Drew Harwell wrote this story. He's a good friend of mine. And it's uh, if he wrote it, I can vouch for it in the Washington Post. Yeah, it, it, Drew and Dan S- Sabag. Sabag. Uh, human rights activist and close ally of detained Dubai princess had phone hacked by NSO spyware forensic test finds a new Pegasus project examination adds to the con- confirm- confirmed targets of the surveillance firm's government clients around the world. The activist David Haig said he was horrified by this attack on human rights by a despotic regime, which if it's Dubai, that's the UAE. And a phone belonging to prominent supporter of two princesses who fled Dubai was infected by Pegasus spyware last year. A new forensic examination shows offering more evidence that government clients of the Israeli surveillance giant NSO group have used its phone hacking tool to target human rights activists. The revelation that David Haig's iPhone 11 was hacked last August comes as evidence also grows that Pegasus also was used to target journalists. Amnesty International researchers identified four more phones from a list of 50,000 that were either infected or targeted with Pegasus spyware. Two of those belonged to journalists. Additionally, the French government told a French news outlet that its investigators had confirmed Amnesty's earlier findings that two of its journalists had been hacked, including the editor of French um, leading TV outlet, France 24. It was the first corroboration by a government of Amnesty's findings. Haig said that at the time of the infection, he was secretly communicating with Princess Latifa, the daughter of Dubai's ruler. The princess had been detained by Dubai operatives in 2018 after she attempted a daring escape across the Arabian Sea. Haig said he had been exchanging videos and text messages for more than a year and a half with Princess Latifa, though the phone had been smuggled into Dubai, into the Dubai villa where she was being held. She stopped responding on July 21st, according to screenshots of the messages Haig shared. The analysis showed that Haig's phone was hacked two weeks later. The princess's story was highlighted in the reports by the Washington Post and a consortium of news organizations coordinated by the French journalism nonprofit Forbidden Stories and operating as, quote-unquote, the Pegasus Project. The journalists analyzed the list of more than 50,000 phone numbers in an effort to identify whom they belonged and with the help of researchers, examined some of the phones for evidence of attempted or successful hacks before publishing a series of articles last month. Amnesty researchers examined the data of 67 smartphones on the list. 33 showed successful infections. 14 others showed signs of attempt. So yeah, the lists are very accurate, relatively accurate. Not entirely, but substantially. 30 of the tests were inconclusive. And... In the days since, the journalists have continued to ask whether people who had suspicions that they were targeted would consent to having their phones examined. Following those tests, the researchers said that they found traces of Pegasus on five other phones. Four four of those numbers were on the list. NSO officials have rejected suggestions that the list is related to surveillance activities of his clients. Well, that's obviously bullshit. 
Hey, my you- favorite one of these, by the way, is the one that just came out of Mexico, where, if you'll recall, NSO Group said that they carefully vetted all the spyware distributors. But there's this uh, Mexican billionaire who goes by the name Mr. Lambo, who's the first big distributor in Mexico who worked with Elliot Broidy, who uh, got in trouble and was arrested for bribery and all these other sorts of crazy things. He's a friend of Jared Kushner's, of course. But Mr. Lambo was investigated for years by the U.S. for illegal drug smuggling, and he later served t- federal time for bribery. And of course, he's the one that they entrusted to do multi-million dollar deals in Mexico. So it's um, uh, this is just beginning. I mean, it's uh, yeah. it's going to be a lot of fun. Here, here's other names that I have not previously been released. The infected phones belong to Anas Altikridi, a Muslim activist in the UK. Brigida, Jesus, a journalist in Hungary. Uh, Ragip Solyu, a journalist in Turkey. Um, whose phones were infected several times between February and July of this year, the forensic analysis found the four phones had been used by a legal officer in India. And they say that this, this the friend of the princess, um, uh, Latifa, Amnesty researchers said the forensic examination showed that his phone had been compromised by Pegasus through a vulnerability in the iMessage app. That compromise took place August 3rd. The analysis also found that there had been an execution of Pegasus process on August 3rd and 4th. There you go. Okay. So, yeah, we're going to continue to see names for weeks to come, for sure. But it, obviously, and, it's a lot, a lot of journalists of, of regimes who don't want journalists to do journal, journalism. Yeah, I think you'll find that it's just any critic of the Israeli state in any form or fashion. Uh, you know, that's what's going to be the next sort of shoot of fall. I, I, or the next uh, shoe to drop. But it's interesting. I mean, the current Israeli government is actually seemingly helping with all these investigations. So I think it'll be very interesting to see as it as it plays out. So the, the next article from VentureBeat is about Activision Blizzard uh, bookings drop 7%. We kind of covered that. Thanks, Ken. And self-flying planes could transport passengers one day, but first, packages is the obvious logical uh, conclusion by Mashable. Before transporting passengers, autonomous planes are carrying cargo. That's the essentially the entire article. And if you didn't realize that, um, you're an idiot. You should probably just uh, go to another room here in Clubhouse. So student IDs on iPhones um, and Apple Watch expand to Canada. We covered that. And fourth police officer. This is weird. This is this is going to where where's my X-Files music? Fourth police officer who responded to Capitol riot dies by suicide. The number of suicide deaths among officers who responded to the January 6th attack at the U.S. Capitol doubled on Monday as the D.C. Metropolitan Police Department confirmed the death of two more officers. There's now been four officers who responded to the January 6th uh, insurrection have committed suicide. What is going on? This is from Forbes. The deaths of D. Freytag and Hashida bring the number of suicides among officers who responded to the riot to four. Capitol Police Officer Howard Leibengood died of suicide days after the attack, with D.C. Police Officer Jeffrey Smith dying of, by suicide several weeks later. Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick died of stroke 
a day after the riot. The DC medical examiner found in April, noting that all all that transpired played a role in his condition. But now four law enforcement officers te- testified last week about their harrowing and in some cases nearly deadly experiences responding to the riot. And uh, why why have four police officers committed suicide? Four of, do we know the total number of police officers that responded to the January 6th riots so that we can get a percentage basis, whatever it is, it's this is wildly uncharacteristic of police officers committed suicide. Something fishy. Huh? PTSD thing, you know, I mean, it, 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 it's, they're they're very upset. I mean, they 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 protect these people, and ha- and half of them that they supposed to protect make believe like it really didn't happen. I mean, so you know, this this there's a big psychological trauma. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, many of them got really roughed the up. Yeah. Many of them got really roughed up there, and it's Capitol Hill. You know, police is kind of a cushy job in D.C. So this idea that you know they were just woefully understaffed, under-resourced, under-protected. And there are cases historically of people kind of catching suicide, like suicide being a social contagion. Uh, that, that has been known to happen before, though four is kind of a bit much. Yep. Um, from Reuters, Delta infections among vaccinated is likely contagious. And Lambda variant shows... Um, Ability to uh, withstand vaccinations. So the there we go. It's from Reuters. I just shared that one out. New York City to require proof of coronavirus vaccination for indoor activities. The mayor has been moving aggressively to ramp up vaccinations as the Delta variant causes coronavirus cases and hospitalizations to surge. But rather than ban indoor dining at restaurants, they're just going to require proof of vaccination. And... Delta infections are a major concern heading into the fall, according to the New York Times. An outbreak of the RSV virus combined with the growing COVID-19 pandemic cases is straining hospital resources in some cities. And uh, from the New York Times, don't want a vaccine? Be prepared to pay more for insurance. Health insurers could do more to encourage vaccination, including letting the unvaccinated foot their bills. Panic buying of shoppers strip shelves bare in Wuhan after the city announces all 11 million residents will be tested for COVID-19 following first outbreak in the year. And if they find cases, that means lockdown. If that means lockdowns, that means um, panic buying. And How does the vaccination things like do I mean, how do they check them? Like, how does that work in New York? I'm just curious, like as a functional thing. I guess they have to need some kind of uh, proof of vaccination. Anyone in New York know how they're going to do it? Ken? No? One in three people say return oh, to the- I was going to say, supposedly I heard that they'll just probably try to put it on businesses when they enforce it in September. So it goes live in August, I think, and then it's a month later. And then they'll probably just have businesses to do it. So that's that's most likely, I think, because of the fines and so forth. One Tyler, th- yes. I have a question for you. Go last fast. night, well, another yeah. question. Yeah. Go fast. Last night there was a room with one point four, one point four thousand four hundred people in it mm-hmm. from New York, mm-hmm. talking about this, like, and it was going quite uh, down the rabbit hole. New York is not happy about this. Yeah, they, they're like really, really pissed off. 
this is going to be very interesting how it gets enforced because New Yorkers are like the ones you don't want to piss off to put something like that on because they'll revolt. Yeah. <clears throat> so you can stay at home and ask for food delivery. What? Yeah. One in three people say return to office negatively impacted their mental health. Nearly half of people scheduled to return report feeling anxiety and depression related to their workplace plans, according to McKinsey. With so ha half are ha hold on ha again, just to resummarize, half of people scheduled to return report anxiety and depression, and one third say it impacted their mental health. It has been shockingly easy to recruit people uh, during this COVID period of transition because so many people are looking at their meaningless COVID, you know, pre-COVID existences, and they're looking at the companies that they're returning to and how terrible they all are and how they want to do something interesting with their lives. So I think we're going to see some really great, amazing companies come from this period. It's awesome. And also, Charles, digitization, where a lot of these companies, you know, can, can work. My, my company's doing it, but can work services so you don't have to drive into an office and sit in a damn cubicle. If your job, you could basically do it with a lot of digitization, no matter what you were doing before. Yeah, we should be getting tax credits for those of us working from home. And not, <laughs> no, no, seriously, and not taxing the freeways not sitting in traffic, you know, putting you know, carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Like we should be absolutely financially rewarded by our, by the state for actually being patriotic and staying home and being productive and being with our families. You get a so home, you, you, get, you get to deduct your 20, 25% of your rent if you have a home office. No, not anymore. Not under the, not under the past uh, tax bill. You can't do oh. it anymore in the U.S. Unfortunately, are already people who commute to work get that into their paychecks, though, because they actually are thought of like when they commute to work, uh, you know, all that is built into your current paychecks. So wouldn't that all this be clawed back in the future paychecks? Like um, employers could actually rethink how much they pay their employees if hybrid work goes ahead. Do you guys remember the for this next headline, which Ken found? And thank you for this one, Ken. This is wild from the Boston Globe. We had about two weeks ago, it was revealed that eBay senior executives were terrorizing a couple who had uh, written you know, negative blog posts about eBay, their eBay experiences. You guys remember this? Well, they were I like, love this. So good. We're sending them yeah. like dead pig heads and all kinds of crazy shit, nooses and, you know, um, I don't remember exactly what they were sent, but things along those lines. So now the Boston Globe has done an interview with this couple. And when there's a photo of them, they look like relatively normal people, honestly. And as much as, much as Americans can be, I guess. The, the headline is, it has to be shown what was done to us. The Natick couple harassed by eBay tells their story for the first time. Natick resident uh, David Steiner. It was the Steiners. Nick was puttering, puttering in his garage on a Sunday morning when a neighbor walking a dog called out to him, hey, your fence has been tagged. Steiner, who was with his wife, Ina, published, publishes a news website about the e-commerce industry from their home, thought his neighbor must be joking. Who would be graffitiing his new white vinyl fence on their quiet tree-lined street? It was June 2019, and he had no clue about the van 
that the vandalism was just the start of a bizarre harassment campaign directed by senior executives at one of the country's leading internet companies, eBay. Ultimately, the events would shatter the Steiner's peaceful suburban life, result in criminal charges against six eBay employees and a contractor, five of whom have pleaded guilty and contribute to the departure of eBay's chief executive. The abuse would culminate in a couple fearing for their lives as they were stalked in their own neighborhood by unknown perpetrators in a slow-moving black van. But that Sunday, Steiner was simply surprised and dismayed to see the word Fedomaster sprayed painted across his fence. He tried to clean up the mess before Ina, who was out paddleboarding, returned home, but he failed. Ina recognized that the name matched an anonymous commenter on their web on their newsletter, one who was particularly critical of eBay. This was very unnerving. Ina re- recalled in an interview with the Globe this week. It didn't make any sense. Had the person who was Fedomaster painted their name on the fence or was someone accusing the Steiners of being Fedomaster or did the term have some other meaning? I Googled right away to see if it was something kids might be saying. <laughs> you got to love old folks. In their first interview with the news media, the couple spoke to the Globe for several hours in the offices of attorney Rosemary Shapiro, who is representing them in a civil lawsuit against eBay that provided additional harrowing details of their experience beyond the those disclosed in the court documents, which include copies of emails and text messages of eBay employees that federal prosecutors say shows they conspired to terrorize the Steiners. The couple met in the mid-90s in Western Massachusetts, blah, 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 around 1990 when eBay was starting. Who cares? They quickly realized that the growing throng of like-minded sellers, who cares, too much backstory, tell us what they did. Um, Criticism. The best best part of this, by the way, is is that Natick is like a rich person town. Like, there is no crime there. Okay? So, like, the idea that people would be like following them in slow moving vans. I mean, it's so crazy and it's so funny. Like a Wes like, Anderson like a, film or something. Yeah. Yeah. This is like a bedroom community where like literally nothing happens. And these people are being like, you know, you know, harassed by a major multi-billion dollar company. Prosecutors said the 2019 campaign was sparked by complaints about articles uh, about eBay and da, 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 the articles drew the eBay executives ire included reports about the CEO's salary and his comments on protecting e-sellers against fraud. From the Steiner's point of view, not much happened for a few weeks after the graffiti, but on August 8th, they found their mail inboxes filling up with dozens of email newsletters they hadn't signed up for, ranging from Heather's irritable bowel syndrome news and the satanic temple to more disturbing fare featuring pornographic and bondage at the same time the new Twitter account started started bombarding Ina with expletive-laden taunts. She had occasionally had to deal with inappropriate comments on the website. She said, if you've been on the internet for a while, you learn that you don't feed the trolls, don't respond, don't encourage. Two days later, the phone rang. It was a taxidermy and animal parts shop in Arizona calling to ask about a purported order for the Steiners of a fetal pig. The Steiner's delivery address didn't match the billing address on the credit card used on the order, so the shop called to double-check the order. Shaken, the Steiner's canceled the order. I thought, here we go, from the online to the real world, it was really scary. A couple, The couple detailed, decided to call the Natick police, and an officer arrived at their house to take the report. While David and the officer continued talking, Ina opened the package in the kitchen. Seeing bits of hair and skin, she screamed. Inside was a mask of a bloody pig face. 
like the one worn by a crazed killer in the Saw movies. The officer added the details to the report. And a few days later, a florist arrived with sympathy wreath for David. The driver told the Steiners he had come from Central Square in Cambridge and was instructed to leave the $255 wreath by their back door without ringing the bell. Ina snapped a picture, more evidence for the police, and debriefed the delivery man. All of these small retailers, they were being weaponized to be used against us. On August 15th, a campaign took a darker turn. Unbeknownst to the Steiner, a group of Boggs employees had flown to Boston, rented two vehicles, checked into the Ritz. According to federal documents, they initially planned to plant a tracking device on the Steiner's car. Luckily, the Toyota RAV4 was locked in the garage and the eBay team retreated to the hotel. But the next day the team returned, David Steiner was up on a ladder installing one of several new security cameras he'd purchased while Ina handed him tools out of a second floor window. Suddenly, Ina saw a dark colored Dodge Caravan driving up the street, black van, New York plates. She told David as the vehicle drove past, we felt in danger. Ina said the van took another pass by the house and as captured by one of the couple's security cameras. Then later in the day, David noted the same van pull out to follow him while he was in his car with a friend. I can still feel how every hair on the back of my neck stood up as the van followed him for several blocks. The Steiners called the police again, and this time three cruisers rushed to their house, but they hadn't been able to take down the entire license plate of the van, and the police weren't able to track down the vehicle as the police milled about. I just sat up. I just sat on my steps, sweating, feeling my heart pounding. Everything just faded away. Blah. And thinking, is there, is there another? Uh, that night, David was awakened about 4.30 a.m. He heard a car slowly driving up the street. A black sedan pulled up in front of their house. David yelled for Ina to call 911 as a man got out of the car and took what looked like a large leather case out of the back seat. David began screaming at the man that he'd called the police. We thought he had a gun. Instead, the eBay team had called for a prank pizza delivery at the Steiner's house, according to federal prosecutors. The delivery man put the pizza boxes on the ground and left. And the couple said they'd felt besieged and trapped in their own home. On August 18th, David became determined to break out and go to the grocery store. Again, a vehicle, a silver SUV, started following him. And he told Ina, I'm going to take them downtown. He told her, planning to drive to the police department. The SUV followed at a distance. He pulled over and parked across the street from the police station as the SUV slowly drove past. He propped Ina's iPhone up on the steering wheel and photographed the stalkers. I'm determined to take this picture this time. I'm just, I just kept hitting the button. With a full license plate number in hand from David's pictures, the Natek police quickly started to unravel the conspiracy. The vehicle tracked back to an eBay contractor who was staying at the Ritz. eBay's team knew it was in trouble according to their own messages obtained later by the federal prosecutor. But on August 22nd, even as Natick police detectives traveled to the Ritz to find the van renter, the stream of threatening tweets against the Steiners continued. And I think that's a, about the, the extent of what's been revealed thus far. I love how the stalkers stayed at the Ritz. That's like my favorite detail in the story. <laughs> And that this is this was a year in which eBay pulled in ten billion dollars in revenue, like they are they're so worried about some like older couple in like a wealthy Boston suburb, just like writing a newsletter that they're sending the goon squad after them. <laughs> I mean, my God, man, it's it's just too much. 
hopefully they can sell the movie rights to this. I went last last time I was in Natick was going to a friend's bar mitzvah. Like that that gives you like the sense of it. It's like such a sleepy place where like nothing happens, and there's like this crazy orchestrated campaign. And I think it took it took down the CEO if I recall correctly. Yeah, like, he, had he to was step down. Right? Yeah. 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 Though he wasn't that was charged, what was so surprising about this whole thing. You you would think that these guys, like the CEO, the risk reward of getting involved in this petty nonsense, obviously is not good. So I don't know how their minds work. You mean corporate America isn't entirely rational, Ken? They might just be petty and vindictive human beings. I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, the thing that's funny to me about it is that they sort of organized it like a like a commando raid, and like apparently. The guy who got charged and brought down was just like one of the underlings, like the the top boss, like he didn't get charged. It's just, you know, one guy who was who was brought down on it. It's kind of sad. It's it's I mean, it's kind of home alone esque, um, but, but a little more sinister. Um, I would definitely watch the Netflix documentary. Yeah, about Absolutely. And the question <laughs> is, do you do you intentionally make it slightly comedic or not? Or do you? So the... also, I just want to I have so many questions like why the embalmed pig head like what what was that about <laughs> you know why the bereavement reef like, like I mean it's just like there's so many questions about what was going through their mind as they were all going about this I, I'm just picturing you know C-suite executives in a boardroom you know planning in these kind of terrorist you know plans like that those aren't the normal characterizations of you know terrorists you know people in you know brooks brother suits and whatnot how long do you think i mean how much money do you think the steiners will make off of this and will they ever have to work again off the no they'll never have to work again but the uh, yeah the lawsuit they should be able they should i imagine this is a great question i bet they get 200 million and yeah movie rights yeah if they get movie rights and they can sell those as well, Netflix. Oculus. 200 million seems high. I can see like 50 to 70 million. Yeah, but jury's, jury's against a big tech company. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, you could be right. I mean, it is Massachusetts and crazier things have happened. Um, I think it, they settle it and then don't disclose how much they got. That would be my sense. Of I, would take it, I would take it to a jury if I were them. A Maybe, jury, yeah. a jury right. in that part, if they if they're if they're pulled locally, if it's the, if the case is done as it likely will be in Boston, and they get and the and the and the their attorney knows how to select the right jury that could do a big award. Oh boy, because it's not an issue if they're guilty or not; they're already pleaded guilty. So it's like it's just about the award. So you get the jury optimizing for award. Oh Jesus, man, that would be so much fun to take as as a lawyer. Like just going and asking. I mean, you would, of course, put the CEO on the stand, right? I mean, you would just like repeatedly get these people on the stand and just ask them the most basic of questions. Like, why did you do the severed pig's head? They, they, might, even, about? they might even settle for $200 million not to go through that embarrassment. I'd think so. I think so. Does anyone read their newsletter? Is it any good? I mean, this is the this is like kind of like maybe this is how the new Substack economy is going to work. That you just so annoy a major tech company <laughs> that they 
<laughs> that they send goons after you. <laughs> hey, anyone interested in writing a e-commerce newsletter and duplicating this feed? Uh, Oculus head of developer relations leaves for Niantic, which is Pokemon Go, as it ramps up their Lightship AR platform. That's that's pretty big. Head of developer relations um, is a key role, and losing that from Oculus to Niantic that that tells you how serious Niantic is. They have their own hardware coming out, AR glasses. So Niantic is definitely stepping things up, and there's a lot of people leaving Oculus these days. So it's kind of interesting to watch. PayPal is expanding its crypto team, hiring 100 crypto positions globally. And this, speaking of Substack, let me hold that. We've got uh, Robinhood stock jumps. We covered that. Here's, here's the last article, and this is a doozy, folks. This is a wild one. So we're ending on a bang here. I, say, I intentionally saved this for last. So, and there's even a clubhouse room dedicated to this that you can go to after we read this. And I think I have additional context that they might not have. Anyway, so it's about Substack. And more importantly, it's about a TechCrunch article written uh, in the past 24 hours about Substack. And it's about the headline, seems very innocent, Substack doubles down on uncensored free speech with acquisition of letter. As if this is bad that they're doubling down on uncensored free speech it's not uncensored you can't write anything you want on substack so already you're starting to realize that amanda sibberling who's the author of this article again contemplate the headline substack doubles down on uncensored quote-unquote free speech with acquisition of a startup called letter doubles down on uncensored free speech okay what's going on certainly there's there's a bone to pick here Substack announced last week that it acquired Letter, a platform that encourages written dialogue and debate. The financials of the deal weren't disclosed, but the acquisition follows Substack's recent $65 million raise. Newsletters are all the rage. Facebook launched uh, something. Twitter did something. Uh, everybody's in the space. Yeah, true. Next paragraph. Here's the quote from Substack. We could see that Letter, like Substack, was working in opposition to the ad-driven attention economy, meaning blogs, Attempting to change the rules of engagement for online discourse, Substack wrote in its acquisition announcement. Fair enough. Yeah, makes sense. Because they're getting away from ad content, which is clickbait bullshit journalism, you know, like yourself, uh, Amanda, and going to a subscription, which is better content because you're not worried about the clicks necessarily. And well, to some degree you are. But, um, but the acquisition may be cause for concern among those already troubled by controversy Substack faced earlier this year when news came out that the platform offered some writers up to six-figure advances as part of its Substack Pro program. The perceived problem wasn't that Substack was incentivizing writers to join the platform, but rather who Substack had handpicked to pay as an advance. Plus, Substack says it's up to the writer to disclose whether they're part of Substack Pro, which creates a lack of editorial transparency, critics said. So basically, Substack raised a bunch of money and then said, yeah, we're going to use this money to encourage um, journalists to leave the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, you know, all of these publications that are ad-based. And some of them are subscription-based as well. But what this... This journalist from TechCrunch is saying is that um, that the journalists were cherry picked. 
okay, well, maybe. Um, although you, you have no proof of that. There's no way to prove that. Uh, of, you don't know everyone that they offered it to. And you even admitted that because it's optional for people to even say that they chose to join Substack. So you don't even know everyone who necessarily was part of this uh, plan. So you certainly don't know who was offered it. So you can't then conclude that they're targeting based on the journalist's views or you know particular slants or views. So you you have a really um, f false um, faulty logic in that paragraph alone. Anyway. The next paragraph, as Substack grew, writers left jobs at BuzzFeed and the New York Times, lured by pay raises and cautious optimism. But as more writers came forward as part of the Substack Pro program, Substack was criticized for subsidizing anti-trans rhetoric because one of the people that came over to Substack uh, is being accused of being anti-trans. And so now they're attacking Substack for bringing that person in as one of these Substack Pro people who are being, you know, able to monetize uh, on Substack. Since some Lured of these... Lured in by a high salary. It sounds like it's such a yeah. terrible thing. Yeah. Since some of these writers use their newsletters to share such views. Substack admits it's not entirely apolitical, but the choice of which writers to subsidize and its decision to use only lightweight moderation tactics are a political choice in an era of the internet when content moderation has a tangible effect on global affairs, where she's conflating social networks with Substack. Uh, some writers even choose to leave the platform as a result. Yeah, not everyone's always happy with every decision they always make. Uh, huge revelation there. And the point is, this is a very new program, and the this TechCrunch tech here's the here's the issue let me just jump to the end of the train here Substack is likely going to kill TechCrunch because the good journalists on TechCrunch are going to leave and write at Substack and this journalist is not one of those smart ones who's going to leave and can build an actual following on Substack so she's going to go down with the ship uh, the SS TechCrunch so this attack on Substack by TechCrunch makes all the sense in the world because TechCrunch is one of the the going to be one of the casualties in this battle. So keep that in mind as you read this article. And it goes on to say, um, the, so when Substack described its new acquisition of Letter as a platform that encourages people to argue in good faith instead of dropping bombs for retweets, it made the acquisition worthy of a deeper examination. And Substack wants to position itself as a neutral platform and and for many writers, it's a valuable way to make money, especially in unstable journalism industry. So there you go. There's a little admission. But given that some users have already become skeptical of who Substack chooses to financially incentivize, which, again, you don't know. You can't make that assertion. You have no idea that they're targeting anybody specifically. It's worthy examining the implications of buying letter, a platform that includes writers associated with so-called intellectual dark web in its group of 20 featured writers on letter some which by the way this is a startup they just acquired that they didn't choose the, the content on letter necessarily or at all actually on letter some of these writers question the validity of childhood transgender identity and refer to the statement trans women are women as propaganda. For example, Substack already lost the trust of some trans and gender non-conforming writers and the content on its newly acquired letter 
won't help rebuild that trust. In addition, letter co-founder Clyde uh, Rathborn wrote in support of a controversial letter published in Harper's Magazine, which called for the concentrated repudiation of cancel culture. Oh, how dare he? But the critics of the letter point out that free speech isn't really at stake here. And this is the open letter signed by 150 prominent writers like Gloria Steinem, Noam Chomsky, Malcolm Gladwell, etc. And how dare they support that letter? <laughs> anyway, um, Substack says its plans to use its acquisition of letter to help writers collaborate and that it won't integrate letter in its platform. Rather, letter team will re relocate from Australia to San Francisco to bring their expertise to help build more of the infrastructure and support. TechCrunch asked Substack if the anti-trans content on Letter is cause for concern within the company, given the recent backlash against the platform. And they commented, we think that open debate and disagreement are absolutely part of having free press. And that includes views that you may not like. You and I may not like, a representative of Substack said. Anyone can browse Substack and find things they agree with and things they disagree with. Substack had no ad-driven feed publishing content based on virality and outrage. And there is a direct relationship between writers and readers who can opt in and out at any time. So, so the bar for us to intervene in that relationship and tell writers what they should be saying is relatively high. And the fact that Letter allowed writers to openly debate uh, and, and discuss is consistent with that philosophy. So the journalist concludes by saying, we don't yet know, we don't yet, we, we don't know yet how or if letter will change Substack. Well, hence your article's pointless. But given the ex existing discourse around the kind of content Substack pays for, Substack isn't demonstrating good faith with its acquisition. And then the, the top comment, which has, well, let me refresh my browser because I've had this tab open forever. The top comment to, to, to now with 70 likes, which is unusual for TechCrunch to have that many likes on any comment, says Amanda Siberling, the, the journalist of this post we had just read, uh, her only problem with Substack is that it dares to forgive freedom to writers and journalists who write what they please, opinions she does not approve of. Siberling wants to control the content of all websites that offer people the opportunity to publish their views. That is the entire basis of this article. People have flocked to Substack because we can't stand traditional media's restrictions on content anymore. We can't stand the sanctimonious morality policing of what we're allowed to read, read and watch. The fact that Siberling puts quotation marks on free speech in the headline exposes her contempt towards the First Amendment and her desire to not just curtail it, but end it altogether in favor of her politics. Siberling despises civil liberties and can't handle the existence of opinions she doesn't approve of. Correct. Precisely. And the fact that Substack's going to eat her fucking lunch and she's going to be out of a job and won't be a journalist for much more. Maybe that too. Well, you know, I've got to say devil's advocate here. Go ahead. I do wonder about how wise it is to make it so that we can't see who's funding what Substack writers. Because obviously this is going to be a tool for money laundering to get certain you know, points of view out there into our political zeitgeist. And I do think we should have a, a bit more disclosure about, you know, where the money's going, who, you know, who's collecting it, if they're all actual people instead of like people using prepaid credit cards, that sort of thing. I think it's worthwhile to consider. I, I have a very important uh, transparency announcement to make. 
some very generous individual in the Palos uh, the Palos Verdes zip code of America tipped me a hundred dollars yesterday. So a huge thank you to whoever did that. I just got Whoa. Yeah. There was two people actually, one for a hundred and one for five dollars. And to the five dollar person, thank you as well. But that's the largest tip ever. Somebody else did fifty a month ago. No, but you know when you, I mean, not I understand what you're saying, but like when you look at when you look at some of these Substack writers that are clearing like millions of dollars, like that's a lot of money, and there should be like some question as to like whether or not those are all legitimate people or real people right i uh, i thought about that too charles you know you're 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 dead on but i think the confluence is this whole identity thing right and and the shift from kind of like you know the fraudulent advertising model where bots you know could drive up uh, rates to a real like revenue model so you know i i'm still with you you know yeah they could easily you know have 10,000 fans that are paying 250 each and you know you're you're literally just pumping money uh to a writer to promote your view you know uh, so i i am definitely very concerned we, we definitely that. see so a lot that. of this i mean we see a lot of this like money movements on things like political candidates right and uh you know we've seen this with like different right and left of basically have people like push money through and so i do think we should be somewhat somewhat careful here but um, I don't really see any any solution here. Yeah, the, other solution, than the solution's easy. I have a super easy solution. I have no idea who tips me here in Clubhouse because Stripe doesn't capture the name. So I, I can't, uh, unless they message me and claim, oh, you know, that $100 you got yesterday, that was me. Although they would have a hard time doing that because I do know the zip code that it came from. And then I would ask them, ah, what's your zip code? And if they guess wrong, then I know that they're lying. So the point is, it makes it not so easy to try and influence me in this room and in terms of narrative or whatnot. Sure. But like, let's say you start getting like absurd amounts of money, right. For certain topics to talk about. Yeah. Might you be more inclined to talk about those certain topics? Yes. Well, I I have, I have actual big sponsors for my monthly events. In fact, I have about 10 of them. They all pay about a thousand dollars a month each. I make $10,000 for a month for one two hour event. And by the way, I could bring them into clubhouse like, that but yes but you you disclose that too right like yeah people know i brag about it i i i scream and shout on stage how much i love those sponsors and i cherry pick those sponsors i have my choice of sponsors hold on once i have to mute for a second yeah i mean look i i'm not opposed to this uh this kind of thing as long as there's disclosure what makes me nervous is when we know that there are certain governments involved with propping up certain viewpoints i mean obviously we see russia today right has a publication um, obviously there's a lot of money that moves through crowdfunding and i think we should be somewhat mindful about this ability to contort our discourse and i think people should be free to spend their money as they see fit but i also think it might be a good idea to have more disclosure but you know to kind of like push the ball back to you do you would you rather have well is it transparent now like like are we seeing like who's funding all of the media like it, I know we can dig, but is it clearly can transparent? I, no, no but Charles is making the case we should just try to get better transparency. Even if we're not perfect, we want to move closer to that perfection, right, Charles? Go, yeah, wait. that's right. You you either go full transparency or you go full. Uh, the the Substack writers have no clue where the money's coming from from the subscribers. Another question: uh, In US, you have to declare your about tips. 
when you file taxes? Uh, depends. The, the government usually, yeah. asks you to do reveal that. The question is, do people do that? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also a question of whether or not you're some states have different rules on different tipping. Like, so for instance, you could get a gift. Like if you're a restaurant, you know, if you're a waitress, for instance, and I give you a hundred dollars and I call it a gift rather than a tip, you don't necessarily have to disclose it. I think this brings up a really good point. And I brought it up in another room when, uh, you know, Duffy was arguing at some point, but you know, when the founder said freedom of press of the press, do you think they were saying freedom as in the press can do whatever they want? Or freedom as in no one is controlling the press? Well, I mean, obviously you had very strong libel laws, you know, and, and we've sort of started to see stronger libel laws in the U.S. So, look, my, my main problem here, I, and again, like, I should say, like, I have friends at Substack. I have friends who've invested in Substack. It's not to, like, pick on Substack because I, I don't want to get into, like, an old media, new media debate. But part of the problem with the media, as I see it, is a question of accountability, Right. Where people can say whatever they want, face no consequences. And then the other problem I have with it is oftentimes we don't actually see who is funding what. I mean, you know, there are a bunch of websites now that are basically the playthings of oligarchs, some foreign, some not. Um, And people, I think, should have more disclosure about the kind of agenda. That's a bigger point. Yeah. I can tell you who hasn't been paying their bill. What's that? I can tell you who hasn't been paying the, their their dues to the uh, media, Subway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I will tell you, like in the case of, I mean, I have my I have a Substack, right? So I can see people's. I don't charge anyone money for it because I think it's kind of gauche, but I can see who signs up, right? And I understand that when you set up your payments, you can see who's paying you, and I think that. You know, if those people want to be disclosed, I mean, I, I do think you should have a right to be private if you want to be. Um, and if it's, you know, like the NAACP didn't want their members to be disclosed to the attorney general of Alabama for obvious reasons, because they didn't want their members to be harassed. And I do think there might be a right to anonymous speech because obviously the founders operated under pseudonyms. However, um, I do think we're in an international world where, you know, money can change hands very quickly. And we have seen, I mean, prepaid credit cards used to influence political campaigns. We've seen foreign governments try to, you know, in a post-Citizens United world, we've seen them try to influence elections. And yeah, I think that there should be, particularly among the larger substack substackers where they're getting, you know, millions of dollars. Like, I, I kind of do want to know who those people are who are funding those kind of things and what it, their agenda might be. Um, and I don't think that's you know wrong to ask for that because we'd ask for that if they were local businesses, uh, you know, doing their own, running their own news, you know, local newspaper. I, I don't. I, I agree with you actually. I think all money transactions should be transparent, especially in government. And um, yeah, then then you know. Yeah, unless there's a national security impetus, but I, I would tend to agree with you. People should see where the money's going. Oh, yeah, the, yeah, coming from, more importantly. the um, Okay, so we'll end it on that. And uh, now we're going to take, we're going to meet again in five hours so everyone can go get a Subway sandwich and um, Four. and enjoy Four that. Four hours because you have a DeFi room. Oh, right. Aaron, are you on stage? Aaron's doing the yeah, DeFi room. So we're going to, yeah. yeah, instead of, we normally would meet five hours from now, but we're going to start one hour early, all about DeFi. And that's Aaron's neck of the woods. And so we'll join then at uh, 
just less than four hours from now. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you for the reminder, Cheryl. Okay. Take care, everyone. All right, everybody. Go, Be safe, everybody. Go enjoy that subway footlong, everybody. We will see you when we get back. <laughs> we know who paid the hundred bucks now. Chris, 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 tip, tip well, you could always turn it off. I had a response to what you sent me. I wasn't.